Welcome to the Great Bays Tennis Podcast. I'm Steve Smith along with Matt Clore tonight. And we're coming to you from Boynton Beach, Florida. We're at the FM Tennis Performance Center. Matt has been a guest before. Great to have him back. He's in this area because two miles down the street at the Delray Beach Tennis Center, the Clay Court Nationals. Matt, who's with the USTA as a national coach for five, six years, you let us know. And now he's with the University of Florida. But let's catch up with Matt. But I think what we need to do, um, talk a little bit about perhaps the position you left the USTA and now going to the University of Florida, work with Brian Shelton, Scotty Perelman. With basics, 101 is a good, you know, I got to go back to basics 101. I think we all took that entry-level college course. But why don't you give us an update? Tell us uh, you and your family are moving down the road or up the road. Yeah, no, thanks, Steve. Great to be back. Um, yeah, I was with the USTA for uh, about five and a half years and, uh, you know, had a had, you know, tremendous opportunity um, with the USTA and really you know, work, had the opportunity to work up and down the pathway on both sides. The men and the women spent, you know, three plus years with with Mackie McDonald full time and and really still involved with his team uh, till uh, today and you know see that happening for a long time. Mackie's a Mackie's a, a great a great friend and hopefully can still be able to uh, you know help help him and uh, his coach Jaime and whoever else comes onto his team for you know a long time. And then you know, also that the USTA was able to. Uh, you know, work a lot very closely with our collegiate uh, program and helping some of our top collegiate players as they transition out of college and work with their coaches while they're in college. Um, built, you know, have built some great relationships and and then also was able to um, you know work uh, alongside Kathy Rinaldi and uh, working with some of our top young transition uh, 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 girls on the on the girls side and um, and spent a little bit of time with Danielle Collins. Um, and helped, uh, you know, was able to be a part of it, that great run she made to her first semifinal Grand Slam in Australia. Um, and also was able to just, you know, help help in a lot of different roles um, during my time there and super appreciative for and grateful for that opportunity. And, um, you know, this new this new adventure for my family and I, um, you know, to the University of Florida to to be a part of uh, such a, you know, a great program that Coach Shelton has uh you know, and culture that he's had during his uh, time there. So really, really excited and humbled and grateful for the opportunity. Matt, uh, Jamie, what's what, Jamie's last name? Who works with McKenzie? Oh, Jaime Polgar. Polgar. Yeah, Jaime, Jaime played at NC State and was uh, um, a great player for them. And um, he, Jaime's from uh, Madrid and, you know, has a, has a really good tennis mind and uh, really, really hard worker, and and so uh, you know, really, really takes care of a lot of details, and um, so does a great job. Uh, good jump around here. How long have you known Brian? Known a long time, right? Yeah, Coach Shelton. Um, when Coach Shelton was a uh, national coach for the USTA, I think I was about twelve. So Brian was was one of the first uh, you know national coaches that that I had um, growing up as a junior. So. You know, going back to twelve, so I've known Brian um, for you know over twenty years, and you know stayed in touch with him through the years. And then during my time at the USTA, working with the uh, with the collegiate program, 
um, was able to, uh, you know, help help some of the players that he had on his team. And then obviously over the past couple of years, um, been able to see, uh, you know, his son Ben, Ben a lot more and follow his progress and um, development. So it's been a, uh, so yeah, so Brian and I have uh, known each other for a long time. So, you know, pretty neat to be able to, to work side by side. That's, that's very interesting. I just listened to a podcast. A mutual friend of ours, Holt Vaughn, told me to, uh, he suggested listening to this podcast with Brian Shelton. Uh, it's amazing. I, I knew you knew him, but I didn't know it went back that many years. Uh, that's one thing you can find out with these stories on podcasts. I guess if Dave Fish said that to us, podcasts is like, it was like going back to talk radio years ago where people didn't have a TV. They just listened to the radio. Yeah, they're great. You can, you know, get in a long car ride and, uh, you know, find out a lot of, uh, a lot of great things. I was in the stadium. I'm sure you were there too. I mean, that was your workplace when Florida won. It was like a movie script with, uh, his son closing the match, clinching the match for them to beat. Who'd they be in the finals? Uh, who did they beat in the final? Texas, maybe. They, uh, yeah, we'll have to go back and check that. With uh, yeah, but, but yeah, he was last match out, or he, you know, he clinched it. Yeah, Ben clinched it. I think Ben was playing five that match. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty special team. That team, um, not uh, no, not only with Ben with it on that team, but in t- uh, also Sam Riffis, uh, you know, won NCAA's in in 2021, um, and then Ben winning it this year in 2022. So back to back individual national champions. Um, you know, I think this year they had a, they had a great team as well. Came up a little bit short against Virginia who ended up winning it. Um, you know, Florida still, still finished number two in the country, you know, so finished one 2021 finished two in 2022. And, um, you know, so has been, been in the, you know, at a top 10 program for, for many years now. So, you know, a lot of, so many positives. And again, you know, the culture, culture there is, uh, is, is pretty awesome. We could certainly talk about, um, more about Ben. I know you spent some time on the court with him already, but he's somebody who played, uh, I found out through the podcast, uh, that he was a quarterback. Tell us about your kids. Um, 12, 10, 8, 2. 12, 10, 8, 2. Boy, girl, boy, girl. Case, Camden, Cohen, and Kenna. Um, no, we're really active family and, uh, all my kids, you know, like a little bit of different things, um, which is great. And my oldest son has done a ton of, uh, competitive gymnastics and loves baseball. Um, my daughter Camden is, uh, like soccer playing a lot more tennis now, which is really fun. Something that, uh, you know, being able to, to, to get on the court and just do anything with, with my kids, whether it's soccer or throwing the baseball, just, you know, being able to, you know, be, share something with them and is, is a lot of fun. And then Cohen loves soccer and then, and playing more tennis. They spent a lot of time at my parents' house this summer and my dad's a teaching pro. So my dad's had some camps and so that means Cohen's got to play, you know, a lot more tennis, which has been great. And then, and then our, uh, our little two-year-old Kenna, who's, uh, you know, just getting into everything right now. So, um, busy busy times but a lot of a lot of fun tell us about your horse <laughs> yeah yeah steve calls my dog a horse um and he's not too far off it's a uh yeah rocky he's um three-year-old chocolate lab about 115 pounds um my youngest daughter's uh probably her best friend um 
you know, she spends the most time around him and, you know, we're really lucky. He's a, uh, I don't think he's got a mean bone in his body, but, big, uh, but he's a big boy. Big guy. So Matt's taking some advice. I'm the old guy, but he didn't take my advice on, on Rocky before Rocky was named Rocky. Great name. Great name. That I was suggesting that they name their dog practice. Here practice. Let's go practice. Practice. Where's practice? Let's go practice. So your son, your oldest son, Case, I, he shows up and I call him Tarzan. I mean, he won some state titles, correct, as a gymnast? He did, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, been, a, he's been a pretty special, uh, he, he's just, uh, you know, he had some he had some good coaching and, you know, talk, we're talking about basics. He's he, uh, he had some really good basics and um, that allowed him to, to develop really well and, um, you know, I think he's very strong and um, yeah, he's, 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 he's done really well for that. He's taken a little bit of a break from it. He's, uh, he's on a little bit of medicine that's uh, um, with some things to help with his growth, but um, you know, which also has allowed him to play different sports more, which is uh, gotten into baseball. And I think that's something with, I'm a, I'm a believer in, in multiple sports for, for kids growing up and not having them specialized too early. And, um, so I think that's, that's a, uh, that's something that, you know, has allowed him to, you know, find something else that he really, really likes and, and still, and still do things and other things. So, um, just like all my kids having him be all around athletes first and not, uh, you know, specialize in anything too early and hopefully they find something that they're really passionate about and go for it. One thing I picked up from my older brother who studied Russian ice hockey he has a PhD in Russian studies, but um, all athletes in the Soviet system be a master of two sports, but all started with gymnastics. With uh, the tennis kids really could benefit so much, even in the beginning, if it's just tumbling exercises, body awareness. But it, for many, many years, almost on a regular year in and year basis, from being based in Tampa for 15 years, we'd go to Gainesville just to take in a college tennis match, but to go and walk around the campus. But I remember too many times watching the gymnast practice and next thing you know, there's an ambulance there. So don't you think, I mean, not to take shots at the sport, but it's really better for than long-term. Yeah, I think so. I think that obviously with any, with any sport that if you're, you know, trying to, to compete at a very high level or just, there's always going to be risks. I think maybe gymnastics maybe has a little bit more in certain areas. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we were lucky with, with my oldest son that he, you know, knock on this table that he hadn't, you know, hadn't had any injuries. Um, but I think, I think it's giving the, given him a great, um, you know, athletic base and he's going to be, he's extremely strong in his core and, you know, his sense of awareness, body awareness is, you know, out of this world. So he's kind of like a cat, you know, if you drop him, you know, somewhere, he's always going to land on his feet or find a way to be in balance. So, um, yeah, no, a, a ton of positives with it. And, um, you know, I think even, even with the kids playing soccer, you know, helping their awareness, just any, any, just creating a different sense of awareness with different sports is, is always, you know, always a positive for, for, for any athlete. I know we're going to get around talking about tennis basics with, I always tell kids, you know, hitting a volley is not as dangerous as doing a backflip on a balance beam. I mean, it's amazing what the gymnasts do. Um, it's 
it's almost like people have a fear factor in going to the net. So I know I spent a lot of hours with, 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 all, with all your children, but especially with Cammie. She has a very good technical base. She hasn't, as, as you, you could talk about, hasn't really hit billions of balls. But she's athletic, and she has really good technique. And it's, it's just, just, I mean, I meet so many children. They come to us when they're 14, 15 years old, and they have no base. Yeah. It's just, it's like, unfortunately, oh, well, you're a redo. Now, the way the brain works, someone, you don't have to change anything. You can just hit the ball the way you hit the ball. Uh, I was talking to one of the college coaches today, used a great word, is there's a ceiling. You know, there's going to be a ceiling on how, I was actually Josh Goffey from South Carolina, said Talking about his dad, he was a guest on the podcast, great guy. That so many kids enter college tennis and they have a ceiling on that, you know, they have holes in their game. Yeah, I think I think, you know, going back to my daughter, I think um yeah, no, I think her being finding she's getting that itch a little bit more. And it's something that um yeah, I've just kind of let, you know, we'll go out there and hit, we'll go out there and hit balls. So, you know, obviously spend a lot of time trying to, to make sure that, you know, she has good swings. So having that good start, um, having that strong fundamental base. So, um, and then, so when she does really, you know, start hitting a lot more balls and, and, and really finding that passion for it, um, then I think she's going to be in a, in a really good spot. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of times where, uh, I think when people have asked me, you know, what, what do you feel like would be when you're you know, bringing your kids into any sports, you know, you want to be, you want to get the basics as sound, you know, 101, you want to get the foundation as solid as you can. And um, so I think that's really important with, with anything that you do. And, um, you know, we'll see if Cammie, what she wants to do with her tennis and um, yeah, but as the older you get, the more myelin you build, the more habits that you have, the harder it is to unlearn. Um, you know, so unlearning is harder than learning. I've told people recently, you know, I'd like to become an athletic director in elementary school. Uh, Brandon Flanagan, who has an um, increasing number of facilities with his partner, Allington, FM Tennis Performance. I think they have eight facilities now, and two of them are private schools, and one in particular, I'm over there on Saturday mornings. It's a, they have a really nice uh, uh, tennis facility. But they actually have every kid learn how to run properly. I mean, just body balance from Welby Van Horn, just even on how to hit a tennis ball, how to hit a golf ball, how to throw a ball, how to catch a ball. And then use the Dennis Vandermeer trickery. So they have, you know, they start with all these different sports. And, you know, like say American football, which is a, probably one of the standing cultures of really learning character in America. Perhaps that's not part of the, because of the budgets and whatever, but lacrosse is a, it's not that expensive a sport. Um, really tennis shouldn't be, but we went back to everybody just take one private lesson a week and just start hitting the backboard, doing baskets, calling people up. But what's happening at these elementary schools, kids are just using computers. They're not, they're not even outside. The camps are inside. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's too bad. Obviously I think I try and be outside with my kids as much as I can and get them playing. I was, I think you and I were talking a little bit earlier today, just, um, you know, I guess with the, with the scary things that go on in this world a little bit, but it's hard where I guess where I, and I totally understand it. Just, you know, it's a little bit scary sometimes letting your kids outside and, 
But we've just, I think one thing that's really neat that I'm going to definitely miss about my neighborhood in Orlando is, um, is that ability to, my kids are outside playing kickball in the street with our neighbors and, um, playing, uh, yeah, you name it They're you know, they're outside there. So it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, it's pretty neat to see that happening still today. Um, maybe you probably don't see it as much, but definitely, you know, lucky and lucky to have that happening. Now for younger people listening, kickball in America, that was the first way to teach people how to play baseball. Yeah. Absolutely. That's how I learned to play baseball, or at yeah. least understanding. First base, second yeah. base, third base, fourth base. Yeah. You got Cohen's a soccer player. And how about the Bambino? She's too young. She's two, but she's in charge. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, she's all over the place. She likes to, she reminds me of my oldest son, Case. She's climbing everything. Her awareness isn't as good as he is, um, was. So uh, she's she's fallen a little bit more. Uh, but no, I mean we have a we're super blessed with a with a really uh, amazing family and the the champion superhero for us all is mom. You know we just celebrated our seventeenth wedding anniversary last week and um, you know so I think that's the uh, she's the glue for us. Well, shout out to Lauren. Uh, Matt's here recruiting as I mentioned the National Clay Courts with Brian Shelton and this evening. Day, the tennis day is done. We're having a conversation on tennis, the podcast. And Lauren is with the boxes. She's with the moving truck. So the she, moving truck is gone. That was oh, gone okay. yesterday. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, she, again, she's, she's a, uh, she's a champ and, um, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I can't say enough. Well, uh, I could throw this out. I, I would say it's more painful to be unpacking and it is to watch junior doubles, although <laughs> although although junior doubles is pretty painful to watch. I think we we start talking about basics with basic concepts, you know, basics for singles drills, basics for doubles drills, you know, basics obviously for stroke production. We had a young gal visit today from uh, Canada. She's not. She just was hitting balls. Just joined in one of the other Canadians. Just asked if she could come by and hats off. This young gal's got a scholarship at an SEC school. And I said, oh, you know, she's coming out tomorrow as well. I said, oh, I'd like to just watch her hit a few balls. And the first 20 balls, she just hit forehands. And that would be a basic drill. It's like divide the court in half. When you're warming up, it's a forehand and it's a backhand. You don't, you do not run around a ball when you're just rallying up the middle first thing out of the box with but tell us before we get into more on basics, um, question you're asked, you know, you're a national coach with the USTA. Why would you go? I don't know. It's, you're no stranger to college tennis. Uh, you were an All-American at Florida State. Now you're in their Hall of Fame. Then you coached at Florida State. Then you coached at NC State. So you're no stranger to college tennis. But why would you go back to college tennis? Why would you leave the USTA? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think, my my time at USTA and was incredible and and loved what I what I got to do and um, yeah I love college tennis too that's a that's a passion of mine and so I think really you know one one reason is is Coach Shelton that's a big reason um, and I think just uh, the the opportunity to to work alongside alongside him and and learn um, and continue to to continue to learn and 
just be a part of, um, you know, the, a, a collegiate environment again is, is something that I love and something that um, wanted to have my kids around and um, a little bit of a, a different change of pace um, for me. I think um, being a national coach and uh, especially with, with working with, with pro players, which a lot of it was what I was doing a lot involves um, a lot of time away from home. And so where my kids are at in, in their age, um, you know, being at home was, was very important to me. And, and again, I think just that opportunity to, um, to, to go back to college tennis and, you know, it was only a couple hours up the road from where we were living in Orlando and to be a part of such a special program, um, work alongside someone that I have so much respect for, um, was was just a was a really neat uh you know humbling opportunity and so i think it's uh you know i'm looking forward to to getting into everything again i think for your family to be on that college campus it's, it's just like wow i remember taking a young player from dusseldorf and i said we're gonna go to the university of florida and they're gonna have a stadium that's bigger than any stadium in dusseldorf he goes no way no way i go yeah i'm pretty sure and the nice thing i'm sure it's still going on it, the, it's open the football stadium's open, so you can go in and, you know, climb the stairs. And with uh, I remember taking my son, Mikhail, one time, and one of the older players just bet him that he could run from the bottom all the way up to the top. You know, he must have been, like, nine years old. And he, he made it, but uh, <laughs> I was afraid he was going to fall. It was like climbing a mountain. It's, uh, but it's an amazing campus. So then to be around all the different sports. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a special place. I think a lot of time with any big collegiate program or school, I think they're always they're all special um, for sure. Yeah, it's going to be neat to be able to um, you know I think with the University of Florida, the the athletic the program, all the all the sports are um, are some of the best in in the country, um, and being able to. Uh, you know, watch future Olympians or current Olympians compete on the track or um, future NBA stars, future NFL stars, um, be able to, um, you know, have that exposure to such a high level of sport in general um, is is something you know, not, not only for the student athletes, but for the community and um, and really excited uh, for for my family to be a to be a part of that. Scotty Perelman. Brian told me today, I was talking to him at the tournament, that when, when Brian showed up, he'd get Scotty to show up. So they started together. And I can remember being, I think Scotty said they were number 21, the men's team in the country, and they were the lowest ranked team on campus. So a lot of success. We were there one time, it was Billy Donovan, our fact checker. We have a fact checker. I think Billy Donovan, that's the name of the basketball coach who was there. Yannick Noah's kid was on the team. They won back-to-back national championships. Yeah, Billy Donovan was the was the coach, yep. Yeah, so um, it, it worked out well. That particular time, I didn't have a large group. There was just a couple of us, so we, you know, Pearl had it set up where we went to a gym workout. You know, all the rules, so the kids have to be under, the, they can't be in high school. Right. And we uh, had a chance to watch um, the basketball team work out, which was cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, yeah. The resources at the University of Florida are are, are incredible, and the facilities and um, yeah, our our we actually share a facility kind of with the basket our the, the tennis facility and the basketball 
practice facility are are pretty much touching. So um, the team will be, you know, sharing the gym that the basketball team has at their practice facility. And so again, being around, being able to 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 see the athletes interact together and being around uh, other high level athletes outside of your sport is um, is huge. Story of a high level af- athlete, former Gator, then he was a Chicago Bear, Neil Anderson. Andy Brandy, who I worked for with All American Sports going back to the late 70s, he was a women's coach. And he sent Neil Anderson, who was long retired from football, but went back to Gainesville to live, run a business. So, anyway, he was sent to get filmed and go through the process. And he came back. He came back three times, but he watched the great, or no, the tennis intelligence apply that 25 hour course we had three times. He, first time he came back, he said, Coach, it's not going to work. And I just started laughing. What he meant was it's too much work. It's too much work. But I said it would work if it was the NFL. And he goes, Yeah, it would. Yeah. It would. It would be <laughs> nine to five, and everybody would watch that, those tapes. With, um, you know, I think being part of a team. I know having you know, a squad, you know, four years. Um, when you were the USTA, you did a lot with camps where some a kid would come in for like a week. It's obviously a different animal. You know, how much can you help a kid a week? We, we're doing a lot of that now. Sure. Yeah, I think I think with with those with with kids coming in and out, I think it's an opportunity to expose them. You know, it's a lot about exposure, a lot about creating um, an environment that exposes them to. Uh, professionalism on a daily on a daily basis of of from a strength and conditioning standpoint, from a proper warm ups to proper cool downs to, um, and then also being able to to bring their peers in of the same level um, that they're seeing. Not just they just to train with them where they just don't see them at a national tournament. So they're actually training together. And um, but yeah, it is you know you're not really it's it's a training week. It's not you're not really able to uh if there's some from flaws or some holes it's you know pointing it out to the parent or the coach that maybe comes with them and and then hopefully they're able to you know have some application process to to help that improve for us it's different because when people are recommended to come to work with us it's not based on talent it's based on studying information you know so the coach who recommend someone to come and see us they know coming in they're going to be filmed for two days and they then after that there's no competitive play it's going to work it's not like okay well i think that's a formula for most academies is we'll do drills in the morning and play matches in the afternoon and if some kid has a hole in their game um but no i think we could talk about the the basics uh through the tournament that we've been watching the last few days, but also you're just at Wimbledon. Uh, but I've known Matt since he recruited my son, Connor, so it's pretty easy for me to put that together where 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. Um, where would you want to begin? We start talking about basics. Uh, maybe we should go back to Wimbledon first. because sure. then, then that was last week and this week's in the Clay Court Nationals. Why don't you share a thought on basics just randomly? Singles, doubles, forehands, backhands. Well, I think I think the basics of um, you know watching Wimbledon. I think you look at the basics. The best players in the world they can they can all serve. So I think the, you know starting with the most important shot in the game, how you start the point, the serve. So 
um, you know, having, having, having good, good mechanics, especially early on, uh, learning, having from, obviously it starts with the grip, grip, swing body, and with the serve toss, um, being able to have the most efficient, uh, efficient swing as you can. And so I think that's, a, I think that's a pretty good one that you need to have. And, and then obviously, you know, the second one would be, a. a a pretty good solid return and that's going to start with a you know starts with a good ready position and the grip and and simple unit turns and obviously you have to be able to you know recognize and things like that but um but yeah i think that's something that stands out to me at, at wimbledon not obviously the best players in the world they're incredible athletes and they've hit millions and millions of balls and um then not only have they hit millions and millions of balls they've hit millions of mem- millions of purposeful balls they're not just hitting balls. There's, there's, um, there's purpose to every ball that they're, um, that they're hitting. Um, but I think with, with, with the basics of serves, you know, everything's, you know, it starts with those two shots. One thing on tactics, I guess to digress, uh, I mean, to me, somebody, if they're recruited to play at the university of Florida, they're pretty much knocking on the door. They're thinking about playing pro tennis as well. Absolutely. And many of the people that come to us, if they don't make the changes, they're not going to play college tennis. So we're, we're not working like a college coach, which is, I think, really more art than science, is to work within a player's game. Sure. Uh, you know, someone's 18 years old and, you know, they've been playing, say, you don't necessarily have to change the grip. You know, you to tweak, to modify. But on, on tactics at Wimbledon, um, the, the young gal we get to the finals, great personality. Um, Anz Jaber. Yeah. And I know you've been around the, the tour as well. So to me, you know, she has great touch, but yet to me, a basic would be you're serving on a fast court. You don't want your opponent to be at the net if it's your serve. So to me, I think that's gone away where, um, you know, there's just not, attacking the net no I, it's definitely something i think obviously the grass is is different than than it was uh years ago but i think the tactics if you if you look at if you look at statistics um on the men's and the women's side the winning percentage is about 66 percent both men and women of net points won when when they come forward it's just the total of total of net appearances is not that high so I think that's where, um, you know, I think, you know, Roger Federer, you know, hopefully, you know, he gets to come back and plays at a good level um, because he's so much fun to watch that um, he's still going to be uh, able to, to play uh, good ball, good ball at Wimbledon and, all, and really anywhere. But because he has that, you know, he has ability to, to he understands looking to come forward. Um so I do, I do think that um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity for players today to to look to finish points at the net, and it's just really understanding um, and managing those stats a lot more. You know, this this year, you know, we're working early in the morning and in the evening. Beat beat the eight here in Florida, so we're up before the sun's up. Cliff Drysdale, the South African. He's been in the U.S. a long time. He's 80 years old, and it's great. He's still working, and 
um, I remember being in the stadium where he was playing the Stasi. And to Drysdale's credit, he started attacking the Stasi's. It was on a hard court. Started attacking as a second serve. And then he started attacking the first serve. And Nastasio, I think, learned from Tyriac, and Nastasio taught Connors to wave the finger. So Nastasio looks over, and everybody in the stadium just stops. You can't hear a pin drop. I should say, you can't hear a pin drop. So he points his finger, Nastasio, at Drysdale, says, no, 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 no. You cannot do that. I am going to hit my serve first. You have to wait for the ball to bounce, and I'm coming to the net first. So you have to wait. And Johnny on the spot, he started to attack. Yeah, you know, people read about McEnroe. McEnroe spent a lot of time playing different sports growing up, and and Douglas down in New York, he played on clay, and he was a baseliner, and he just said, "Hey, I'm in Wimbledon." Of course, the grass was different, but he just started going forward. Uh, you know, I know that you spent time with Max Cressy, Andy Fitzell. I know I spent a little time with him. He was playing the Canadian Felix, Oger Aliassime. Yeah, what would Brad Gilbert call him? Double A. Double A. Yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. To me, watching him and I, you know, Mir, I know Miran Mann talked about on one of our podcasts traveling with him. He's so disciplined. I was, I was, I watched him play in Europe. He's 13 years old. You can just tell then there's something special about this kid. But to me, when he's playing Max, same thing as the girl who got to the finals from Tunisia. That Felix had had to go forward. You know, it's grass. I'm not letting Max Cressy come to the net. It's if no, it's my turn to be at the net. Even though I'm more comfortable being a baseline player, sure. I'm coming in. Uh, Feder in the match against uh, Sampras, where he won, there was uh, five consecutive Wimbledon's played, where he came to the net more in that one match than he did in five consecutive Wimbledon's. And I do think that. You know, the grass has changed, but it just comes down to the very beginning when they're younger. You know, like watching the doubles today, um, jumping ahead back to the clay or up to the clay court this, this week. The doubles is, are you kidding me? I mean, it's like it's like a skit on how not to play doubles. Sure. And the parents are watching, the coaches are watching, the college coaches. I'm just feeling sorry for college coaches. It's like, I mean, the grips that they have, the ready position, the tosses. And it's like, this isn't going to work. But it, it works because the people on the other side are playing the Doing same the way. same thing, yeah. Same way. But what else comes to your mind with Wimbledon? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you talked, yeah, I think, with when you look at, you look at with the pros today, and not just pros today, it's in any, in any professional sport, um, just the attention to detail of, of, of everything, of the professionalism is, you know, it's, it's just really, it's really neat to, to see how they take care of every detail um, from the way they eat to the way that they take care of the body off the court. Every, every minute is, you know, designed to uh, make sure that their performance is at the highest level. Um, you know, whether if it's on days off, they're in the gym or they're lifting after their matches. And um, you now, so there's, there's a reason that they have full teams around them. They have, you know, a full staff that is, you know, doing everything they possibly can to, to make sure that they are uh, able to perform at the highest level, um, yeah, I think I think it would be nice to see more guys coming forward. I think that's especially you know we were talking about just with the stats there. I think that's where Max is pretty fun to watch. Um, he is coming forward on everything, first, second serve. He's looking to get in whenever he can. Um, so, but I think that there's definitely. Um, 
an opportunity and the stats speak to it of, of finding uh, more opportunities to come forward. You know, besides the 16s and 18s for boys, we have the, the girls 12s here. And we always tell people, okay, you're up 40 love. You know, Carlos Goffey, Bill Jacobson, the green light point. And that's when it's three points. It can be two points, 40, 15, 30 love. Just hit a body serve so they don't have any angle, your, your opponent. And then come to the net. Um, Peter Burwatch just passed away, 77 years old, great Canadian, did so much for tennis. Um, you mentioned professionalism. I think Peter really made a major impact on tennis, the tennis teaching industry with just that word, professionalism, but, but the creative side. So um, I think more so than usual of uh, when Rafa was playing Taylor Fritz. And I know you've spent time with Taylor Fritz. Here's a guy who starts the point well on the serve and return big time. But with uh, Rafa just floating the ball up in the air and, and Taylor waiting for it to bounce, Pancho Seguro used to say, and this is unfortunate, that years ago everybody smoked cigarettes. And Pancho used to say, by the time the kid hits the ball, you could light a cigarette. <laughs> And the ball's just floating up there like a wounded duck. And to just come in and take that out of the air. Why I mentioned Peter with creative tennis, he'd say, okay, let's play a set. Just, you're on the baseline, you serve underhand, and you're going to keep score just like it's a set, throw the ball up high. You could play a swinging volley, but just come in and play a conventional volley, which is pretty much a lost art now. Yeah, absolutely. And just play sets that way. Sure. And, and knowing Taylor, Taylor would love that because Taylor's super competitive. Yeah, so, you've told me that you think he's the most competitive male, and and then uh, yeah. he's, he's the young he's, girl he's competitive. Here. Yeah, Danielle Collins is extremely com- you know great competitor. You know Taylor. No, I think that's a that's an area where where Taylor can can keep developing, and obviously he's I think he's eleven in the world or you know top fifteen in the world, and really starts to point well with serve and return, and um, you know, aggressive from the ground, and if he adds that uh, um, side of to his game. Could, could so when, when you're there, did, I know you're there to watch to recruit, right? You watch, yeah. watch the juniors, but you, you saw the um, quite a bit of the the women and the men. Yeah, I was able to, um, you know, when when the matches were over with some of the juniors, be able to to sneak over and and um, to watch to watch. It's always great to be able to to watch the players and and just see see. Uh, how the game's going and what what's going on and it's just uh you know being a being able to just soak it all in and uh is always is always good i mean you have so much firsthand experience with uh coco goff gets the french open finals she's at wimbledon and you know i i say often on the podcast if, you know if we were to criticize a pro player we're not necessarily criticizing the pro player they're a pro player yeah, but it, you know it's like sam query on the backhand volley I remember telling some of the officials with the USTA, I was in a meeting years ago with Rob Krychek and said, you know, really the, the Sam Queries of the future, they need to have a better backhand volley. And I know Sam Queries, uh, millions of dollars in the bank and hats off to Sam Query. But I know you've uh, been on the court with Coco Goff in the, in the TV booth now. They're just talking about her forehand, her forehand, her forehand. And, you know, then in, in our world, grip, swing, body, you know, is someone going to go back? I'd love to listen to Brad Gilbert. You know, he, he he's one time said, "I don't do grips." And, you know, and you, that's I think that's something with college tennis. Um, there's a difference between teaching and coaching, or even combining both. 
to get into the nuts and bolts, uh, what would your thought be on her tennis game? Uh, yeah, I've spent a, a little bit of time on the court with 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 Coco, um, just a you know a little bit. Obviously, incredible competitor, incredible athlete, um, and uh, you know I think where uh, I think think either her dad said it or I've heard someone say it. Where I mean, she'd walk across. Uh, glass on bare feet to win matches and that's what makes her um that's what's gonna you know she's gonna probably she's probably gonna win a slam maybe if more than more than one um yeah i think it's always like you said at 18 19 20 years old it's always hard to uh it's always hard to go back and change but i do think where a lot of professional athletes they are looking for that competitive edge um that competitive advantage and um, I think where there's a will, there's a way. So uh, I know that she's working with former national coach Diego Moyano. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the future. But she's going to keep winning, I think. You know, even if she she does need to, you know, probably modify some things on the forehand. And I know that she's trying to do that. But, uh Yeah. You know, see what happens. Yeah, we make these, as you know, uh, make these technical tapes. They're very verbose, and it really comes down. Unfortunately, you have to be so persuasive. The parent, the consumer, you know, they just are overexposed in some ways. They've heard, you know, there's 99 different ways to hit a forehand. So I always think of Jack Kramer. He said about Greg, I told his story just to touch upon it. Gabrielle Sabatini is two in the world. And he said, I think she should take a year off and rebuild her game. You know, but it, it wouldn't necessarily have to be a year off. But, you know, you have lots of money in the bank. It's like with Lendl. Tony Roach said to Lendl, it's your ego. It's your greed. Because you've won everything but Wimbledon. Don't just wait to start serving volley three weeks before. <laughs> just serving volley the whole year. Just sure. just tell the world, I'm I'm, uh, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing this to win Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, but, you know, common sense is not often common. But with Coco Golf, I mean, to just say, okay, creative training. Okay, you play this set. You have to stay inside the baseline. You can't hit top on your forehand. You know, and just say, okay, we're just going to you know, take it like a volley and just, even on serves, just take it, just push it forward and say, well, no one plays that shot anymore. So, you know, well, then you have to dig out some film of Roger. Rogers plays that shot. Uh, you know, and if you go if you go slowly, I mean, to hit flat, you have to swing up because right. when ball ball hits the court, the court puts more spin on the ball than the player, and you 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 have to swing up to hit flat. Um, you know, you finish up when you hit underspin. You lift. You don't lift. It's not as violent a lift as topspin. But I think it's a matter of who's going to be in her corner. Sure. And and I think a lot of times there's. Um, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, that is saying, okay, here's one person. But then I think because when someone becomes a better player, this is even true at the grassroots level, is they're more exposed. They, they've got everybody talking to them. Everybody wants to coach the kid in, you know, 12s who's about to, to win. You know, people are out there handing out their business cards and it's just terrible. But with that, um, no, it's, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, to, to be sitting and watching um, on TV, the commentators are going, she's going to have to improve her forehand. She's going to have to improve her forehand. 
And then it's like, well, okay, how is she going to improve it? And I think a lot of times, too, is that um, is the person in their corner someone who's really done that? Are they a technician? You know, a lot of times, I mean, like for where I'm coming from, I think at the pro level, a lot of people are going to say, that guy needs to go sit in Section F and eat a hot dog. Yeah, they're, 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 not, they're not listening. But, um, you know, then some things are more of a drastic change. We say major surgery versus Band-Aid. Um, but when you say at Wimbledon, more drop shots than approach shots with a lot of matches? Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot more drop shots than approach shots. Um, definitely saw that in the women's finals, um, for sure. Somebody that you and I both worked with, Nick Horton. He grew up same age as uh, Nick Kyrgios. Yep. So what I share with the listeners, um, what, what do we mean when we say he's got a finesse volleys? Yeah, he's, you know, one, it starts with a little bit of the grip, and then he's, he's, he's really just, you know, chopping at it a little bit. He's not really, not really driving and sticking it. Um, so... But, uh, you got to love Kyrgios in some ways. They asked him, you don't have a coach. He goes, well, I don't want to do that to someone. <laughs> but he actually won a tournament where Zverev, young Zverev, congratulated his, his team. He goes, well, I'd like to congratulate your team, your coaches. I don't know what they do. But with, uh, I remember Nick Horton said that when he was young, he had a win over, over uh, Nick curious in the 12s yeah but he said he was just playing the same way yeah i mean i saw i saw nick i was down in australia um and and for in december and yeah i mean nick's uh nick was playing the same way at 16 and they're um yeah big pretty free guy you know, really good serve well we, we watched someone play today that you and i both coached and i said he needs to play three hours of basketball Steve Denton, coach of Texas A&M, he goes, yeah, you shouldn't touch the ball. <laughs> Just play defense. Because he's hitting the ball very cleanly, big serve. But with Curios, I think he's so competitive. I mean, he has a reset on the backhand. He's pretty much bunning the backhand. He's consistent, but people aren't attacking it. You really can't say it's a weakness unless you apply pressure. Sure. So he's playing many people that are not serving the backhand coming in. As great as Djokovic is. That, that's almost like an option he doesn't doesn't show or a, a, an opportunity, a skill. That he, is like, he doesn't play that pattern. Well, okay, I'm going to mix it up and serve and volley some. You know, I think, I think it was great to see Novak um, at the end of last year, um, you know, when playing Medvedev, you saw Djokovic coming forward so much more and serving and volleying a lot. I think, I think in, you know, maybe the case of Novak and, and Nick – Novak just knows that he's going to be able to, you know, I think everyone calls it lockdown mode that he's just, he's just better than Nick in the, in the baseline rally. So, uh, he's not going to give Nick, you know, too much of a target and he's just going to say, I'm going to, you know, Novak's got a little cleaner back end than Nick. Also do directionals. He would take the back end down the line. Braden used to say, Hey, stupid. You know, you take the ball down the line. I mean, I watched one of the kids we coached, another kid. We have like between the 12, 16s, and 18s, we're well over a dozen kids that are playing this tournament or the three tournaments. So it was just one pattern. He's playing somebody who 
had a stream grip on the forehand side and they were just looking to just go for a home run. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's, he's on the run laterally going east and west. But with Nick, um, he did miss a lot of forehands. I mean, it's like a go for broke forehand. But when he comes in, if I always tell people singles in doubles, if he could just play one volley deep, you know, curious as great as a service. I mean, you should be able to come in behind it. Yeah. You know, it's, um, Hank Jungle had a lot to do with motivating Tim Gullickson. And Tim Gullickson, I mean, he was almost 25 before he went on a tour. And he became a teaching pro. I think it was Kettering Racket Club, Xenia, Ohio. And Hank Jungle was in that area. I remember listening to Hank say the supermarket of tennis is, you know, that's where Federer was asked, um, are you going to start to come to the net more? And I think he did when he was working with Edberg. He said, why don't you come as much as Edberg? He said, I don't volley as well as Edberg. <laughs> But if, you know, just to use uh, one's imagination, behind the curio serve, which is arguably one of the best ever, if somebody could come in and have a Edberg volley. Because in, in Wimbledon, I didn't do pen to paper, but he didn't hit many overheads. No. And when you're playing really offensive tennis, especially on grass, the overhead is a sign that you're playing you're offensively. Playing offensive tennis. Yeah, you know, I mean, with... Uh, there's a gal that we worked with. She's in the main draw of the 12s tomorrow. There's a good chance you could watch like two straight days of 12s and not see an overhead. I mean, if you're not coming to the net, they're not going to lob. Why would they lob if you're, you're not coming to the net? I didn't see too many overheads uh, in the uh, matches that we saw today either. No, but I think there's a premium on winning at such an early age. Um, I think it was a little bit macho to make an understatement, but... You know, one's manhood was going to be questioned years ago if you'd serve and stay back. It was just, it was just taboo. You, in doubles, you didn't serve and stay back. Sure. I mean, they, hey, this is a, a man's game. But even the women, I know you, you spent so much time with Kathy Rinaldi. I, I, um, I remember watching her take lessons from Frank Froling. And he, he played open tournaments with us, this guy from England. You know, he would work all week resurfacing courts, and he's 45 years old, and he'd show up, and it was fun to hang around with him, but I remember him teaching. And but there's a mixed doubles tape with Chrissy Everett, Jimmy Connors. Just kind of YouTube it. She's playing with Vince Van Patten, and that mixed doubles is so much better than mixed doubles today. Yeah, Kathy, Kathy, Kathy still hits a really good ball. Um, yeah, no, she's. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. It's just players aren't coming forward as much as they as they were in the past. Yeah, we always say the number one you know rule is if. They don't come to the net because they don't come to the net. They want to win that two-inch trophy, then they don't have the instincts. They don't have the internal wiring. You know, that's where, um, you know, you see these young kids uh, with the college coaches, you know, like yourself, you're, you're wearing the great logo, the, the Gator. And the kids, obviously, you can tell they have an edge. But they, someone should just say, this isn't going to work anyway. Yeah. It would be great to see to see at the, the youngest levels that in the orange balls or that in you know one doubles is um, played a lot, but also where it's make it where you have to serve volley, and that would be something I think that you'd have much better, obviously instincts of of going forward. So I think that yeah, I think starting it at an early age. I know I've seen programs where at younger ages where you have, you know, they put situations where you have to serve volley on your first serve or you know, it's like, no, you're going to serve volley all the time. And, um, 
that's going to, and obviously like there, there are, there's, there's times where you need to practice maybe a serving and staying back because you're probably going to play against a team that's going to serve and stay back. So you're not just kind of like totally thrown off, but still, you know, practicing more where players are, are having to come forward. And I think that's where you see players improve a ton in college is where, um, the the coaches are trying to get them to come to the net more and play doubles. Um, you can always tell players are pretty well taught by the, how how they play doubles. Yeah, the finishing point. You know, to be a Finnish player and now that means you're from a Scandinavian country. With with um, my son Connor, with with doubles, people would say, you know, you really play doubles well, and he had a great comeback. Well, not really. I just know where to stand. That's one of my favorite. And I, I said, well, you could even add, you know, where, where to, uh, how to hang out of the racket. Two other players today, I, I, I thought it was against the rules. I asked, and one of the parents said, no, no, you can coach. It used to be there's no coaching for 18s. The 16s, you could talk to them. Right. If there was a split set or the 14s, 12s. So I told this, they were playing for a 10-point match tiebreaker. And I said, one thing I'd recommend is to offset because they weren't getting the returns cross court. And that worked for them because they had two players that they couldn't stick a volley. They're finessing. Mm-hmm. Finessing means they're just angling. They're hitting downward. They can't drive through the volley. But they lost five points by just not making a first volley. The other, the other day we were at the FAU track and the kids were doing intervals. And I said, I, said, I should say the other day, it was a month and a half ago. And I said, we're not leaving until we see one of these guys drop a football. And there's two quarterbacks, the receivers, and the way they were catching it, talking about basics, the yep. thumbs like this or the fingers like this. And we were there for a long time and I said, okay, we'll go. No one dropped the ball. No one dropped the ball. And, you know, another basic concept, someone else that we worked with, Matt's today, he couldn't finish it because of uh, cramps. But he didn't really understand the two-bounce rule. You know, you're in the defensive area, neutral area of the red zone and you're spreading the court. We tell people and they, they don't think that we ever want them to run around the back end. I go, no, you can do that, but wait till you get inside the court. Yeah. I think, I think so many times where players are, are thinking you hear the term open the court a lot and they're, they're spreading the court from defensive situations, which angle creates angle. And, um, it's going to become a lot more lateral, um, movement match. And um, I think the player you're talking about ended up, uh, you know, going down to cramps. Um, came, you know, it was a long way. It's super hot, and uh, it's one of the hotter days I can remember down here. And uh, so, yeah, I think understanding court position and keeping the, I think Andre Agassi called it, keeping them within the uh, tram lines. And if you, it's, it's, if you really kind of will, if you could draw some lines on a court when you're watching it the best players in the world are keeping the players within the tram lines until they're more in an offensive position to where obviously as from the, from the middle of the baseline, it's less than 20 degrees. So as you move up service lines, 30, uh, 30 degrees. And obviously if you're three, if the net itself is 180 degrees and three feet back is, you know, 130. So the more you move forward, the more potential angle that you have. Another reason that's good to come forward. Um, yeah, but just, you know, creating less angle, hitting the ball. I think the other thing, too, is depth. I think that's a pretty basic 101, and from a tactical standpoint, keep it deep. Um, if 
you're not keeping it deep and you're hitting it in the middle, then you're uh, or just anywhere, then it's going to be a long day at the office if the other person on the other side of the net has you know some recognition skills and the the ability to want to be able to to step up and and finish you know and hit approach shots and things like that. But um, yeah, it's, it's I think I think kids sometimes are confused with that with that term of of uh, you know opening the court you know especially understanding where they are in position when they're receiving the ball. Oh, the the kid method KID keep it deep. Chrissy Everett's father had two nets, one on top of the other. Braden put up balloons for Tracy Austin. Uh, I just told a parent the other day, that's a junior word, don't use it. They don't want to be a pusher, you know, defensive specialist. I mean, you know, when you're watching tennis on TV and the camera shooting from up above the TV screen, there's obviously bigger TVs today than yesteryear, but the player's about the size of your smallest finger, the ball's about the size of your fingernail. It's an optical illusion. You think the players are hitting lasers, but they're the higher level players. Look, I mean, okay, I'm going to copy Nadal. It's working for him. Plus, you're playing against people. There's some people today, they don't even warm up at the net. Yeah. No, no, I'm good. They don't warm up at the net. If they do, it's only like two or three volleys. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, you're down here scouting. I tell college coaches, well, you better see the warm up or you won't. That's the only chance you're going to get to see him volley. Yeah. But not to understand stats. Um, all, all the way to Wimbledon. I do think that it trickles down. I sure. mean, it's very, very difficult. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, well, you're not Djokovic. Nadal, he's from a different planet. You know, with I know Leighton Hewitt's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. That's That would be a guy to copy as far as just being a fighter. I mean, he wasn't the best ball striker. He had major holes in his game technically. But he took he took the ball early and it was just principled and talk about deep you know, and you know, and I think I think people in tennis, whether it's players, parents, coaches, is listen to what the pros say. Remember, he would say, in the worst part of my game, and most of the top players, I mean, you could comment on that. If you listen to them, they're honest. Yeah. And he used to say, the worst part of my game is my transition game. But when he's nineteen, he won the U.S. Open doubles. You know, the guy could. Guy could play doubles, can reserve, return, but he when he did it, he was going to the net. Yep. Yeah. It, it wasn't one up, one back. Yeah, he played doubles with Max Mirny. Um yeah, I think I think I think the with pros they're I think they're I think any I mean, any good player, any sport, they're they're gonna know themselves inside and out and what they do well and what they don't what they don't. And so I think it's you know, there's no secrets and um, yeah, and then they're always trying to look for, for opportunities to, to improve those. Um, but I think that's where, you know, you go back to Djokovic. I mean, with Djokovic, you know, I think when people say he goes into that lockdown mode, I mean, he just keeps it deep. I mean, obviously he can move like a deer. I think that's another, I think that's another, uh, you know, another 101 to talk about is being able to, you know, really work on the, work on the basics of your fitness early and getting your legs strong and, and really work on, on moving just as much as, you know, if you can put really clean strokes together and you can move, then you're going to be in, in, in a pretty good, uh, pretty good spot and you can compete. There's a short video on YouTube that was taken down. I should have tried to save it. I should have had somebody else save it. 
not that I know how to do it. So, but it was uh, one of his fitness trainers talking about junior tennis and how kids they're ending up like a pretzel. They're they're tying themselves in knots. They're off balance. Yeah. You know, with with Djokovic, and what we've put together. You know, someone recently called it a body of work. And that's just what it is. It's homework, a system of systems. And it's not just Braden. You know, we always say Braden's the Christmas tree, but there's lots of ornaments. And, you know, if you watch Djokovic hit a ball, if you just watch him in the ready position. But there's something as well as the guys are making so much money now that they don't play doubles. Yeah, and I think, I mean, when you look at Wimbledon, Wimbledon's three out of five in the in the singles and it's three out of five in the doubles. And, uh, I'm, I think it's, I think it's huge to be able to, uh, to play both. But I think obviously with even on the grass with the physicality of things and, you know, the main focus is, is trying, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot more money in both singles and doubles now, but there's, there's definitely more money in singles and, you know, guys trying to maximize and being as fresh as possible. And, um, try and take care of the, the singles first. There's definitely a lot of that mentality for sure. Um, I do think when younger players are on YouTube and they look at old film, the, the ball is traveling. I mean, it's almost twice as fast. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's just different the way that the, the courts are taking it. And I think with, with technology, the strings and rackets, it's definitely, um, it's bouncing higher. Um, so yeah, I mean, everything's just, it's a little bit different. But there's examples. I mean, if you took Lopez, he's, you know, slowing down, but he's Federer's age. But yeah. he, there's, there's still, there's still examples. Yeah, it's still there. I mean, the, the, it's, you can, you can still, um, maybe, maybe you can't, you can, I think Max Cressy is showing that you can, if you have a big serve and you can come forward, you can do it all the time. Um, but I think that's where, He's committed to playing that way. And I think if you commit to, to something and really um, have the skill set to do it, then, you know, there's definitely, I mean, again, go back to the stats. The stats are are saying that, you know, your guys and girls who are coming to the net, their win percentage is above two, you know, 65, 66%. So they're winning two out of every three when they come to the net. Well, through you, uh, McKenzie McDonald stayed three weeks with us during the pandemic. And I asked him so many questions, but one was return to serve. He says, well, I'm just going to the middle. I'm going to the middle low if they're coming in. I'm going to the middle high if they're staying back. And like today, to just watch so many young kids missing a second serve return and missing it wide. That's brutal. And and then also, too, they're hitting hitting lower with the net. They're hitting short against people who won't even come in. So then they're getting to – and they're hitting short and wide. And then you see him with their extreme grip on the forehand side. And they're just waving their arms going, I just hit forehands. I just hit forehands. I just hit forehands. Yeah. And then they watch him serve. They're, you know, a lot of the righties are serving to righties. Their second serves. They're spinning out. The body's opening up. And they're hitting their second serve. They can't pinpoint it. They can't hit it away from the bat, away from the forehand. Yep. And it looks like this guy's trying to throw a discus and this guy's trying to throw a discus and... You know, we beat it to death. You know, Crummy's playing crummier. Who wins? Crummy wins, but they don't know they're crummy because it's clones taught by clowns. They're, they're playing the same. But also, too, at the pro level, if they were to turn the TV on, and that's where, you know, doubles is not on TV enough, but 
I heard someone say that, you know, the Bryans retired, so now, you know, serving volley doubles is going to become obsolete. But that's not true. The top doubles teams. Yeah, the top are, double teams are, are still looking to come forward. On the men's side. Yeah, more so on the men's side for sure. Um, but I think that, yeah, I mean, there's just so many opportunities to um, to finish at the net. And that's just where most potential angle is. And net beats the baseline whenever they come forward. You know, Andy Brandy's older brother, Joe, um, great story. He had polio, became ranked 33 in the country in the 18s. His cousin, Charlie Passerell, was going to quit tennis because he thought Welby Van Horn was too tough. And um, Char- Charlie's Passerell's mother said, hey, your, your cousin's playing on one leg. You're not quitting. And, you know, Charlie became such a great player. But Joe Brandy was working at Ball Terry's, and his daughter, the expression came out of the jungle, toughest junior playground in the world at one time. And she was training with us one time. Just, just I should say she's just, she needed courts and tampon clay or hard. I guess it was clay, and she was there with her coach. And so we weren't really training her. She was there training. Sure. And I remember saying to the coach, said, uh, hey, why don't we do a little exhibition before lunch? And he goes, no, no, you you, don't, you mean strokes? Because she was just a grinder, a fighter. And I think that's one thing that uh, we see with the kids that we coach is that, yeah, they end up hitting the ball, you know, pretty well, but then the compete factor. Um, but so she came out of, you know, ball Terry, that, that playground, and, you know, you think – Joe was taught by Welby Van Horn, and it was, there was just no semblance of, you know, like a real clean ball striking all sure. court, all court game. Yeah. But what about that with, uh, you know, Wimbledon? I hear you use the term outlier that the, the guys, they just, and gals, they just learn to compete at such an early age. Why do you comment on that? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously to be, to be good at, any, any, that would be one of the best at what you do in any profession. You got to have, you got to have some juice and, and some competitive fire to, uh, so obviously, I mean, one of the best, I always, I heard this from, uh, I think someone, I think obviously we always hear, I mean, Nadal is an incredible competitor. Um, it was very interesting to hear, um, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, Jaime Polgar, who's working with Mackie and Jaime's, um, and I spent some time with uh, one of the coaches, Francisco Roig, who work who travels with with uh, with Rafa quite a bit. And someone um, someone said, "Oh, you know, Nadal's such a uh, you know an incredible competitor." And he goes, "He's he goes he's an, he's the best fighter. He's not the best competitor. He's the best fighter." So he differentiated competing and fighting, um, which I found you know pretty interesting. Um, you know, so, you know, I think that's one thing Nadal's, he's always going to fight, but I think as a competitor too, you're always, always trying to problem solve and figure things out. And if you, you know, if you watched, you know, we talked a little bit about Taylor in that Rafa match where Nadal was basically, I mean, he went, he went a lot of underspin backhands there for, a, for he started just mixing that in all the time. But, um, so, I mean, that's just where Nadal went into problem solving and compete mode. So I think I think with with that we're we're the best athletes and players. You know they they go through they go through stages where they're and and for the most part they do have a skill set that allows them to make some adjustments. 
um, with the tactics that they're trying to play, whether they're going to try and play a little closer to the baseline. And, so, you know, you always see kind of some stats where first first set, you know, they lost the set and they were eight feet behind the baseline and then they won the second set and they were two feet from the baseline. So their court position changed or they finished, you know, they were hit, taking balls more inside the court. So um, I think that awareness factor and competing, competing side, I think the, I mean, you know, Djokovic, same thing. He's, you know, really, really good competitor and all the best are, you know, at anything they do from Michael Jordan to, to any of them. There's that competitive edge that, you know, they don't want to lose. So they're going to go through that process. I'm trying to think who told me this. Maybe it was Dave Secker at NC State. Um, within college tennis, a rule may be changed where you can, they're going to go back where you can take a year off. Take a year off for the entire year you can play tournaments. It, it has been where you can take a year off, but you can only play for six months. So some kids have been taking this so-called gap year, repeating the eighth grade twice. Yeah. My question to you is... Uh, with college tennis and, you know, looking at the players today at the national clay courts, um, it's done in football. It's done in basketball. It's not done very much in tennis. Uh, to me, I look, I watch and I go, I think everybody goes to college, especially if they knew how long people were playing on the tour, they're taking care of their bodies, that college tennis players would be going for five years. And the first year would be a developmental year. They would redshirt. What are your thoughts on that? I think that'd be pretty awesome. Um, obviously, with, with a college football team, there's 85, 85 90 athletes. Um, I think with, this, with, with, the, with the scholarships, of, especially on the men's side, um, you know, it gets, uh, gets a little bit tricky. Um, just, you know, four and a half scholarships and, um, you know, having to put a, a team of at least at minimum six singles players and obviously three doubles. And so... Um, but I think that would, I think the developmental aspect of it would be huge. One, developing physically. Um, you know, you see there's a reason that there's a time period, and especially when you look at college football, you have to, you're not allowed to enter the NFL for, you know, until you're a certain, I don't know if it's certain years in school or at least a certain age, or at least try out for, you know, to, for a scout team. Why? Because physically you're going to, you're not going to survive. Um and so obviously it would give give players a, a, a more time to develop physically emotionally mature and um, obviously if there's if there's parts of their game that that need to be rebuilt it allows it allows them to uh, and you could you just you could just be really smart with how you with how you with how you plan um, the one thing though is you know, they do need to work on, you know if there's holes they ha they're gonna have to take that time and work on it but the other thing too is, is obviously as tennis players, um, especially, you know, you still have to play some, you have to figure out that schedule to be able to, um, but again, if you could go four years is a long time in college, if you could add an extra year of development, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be pretty, that'd be, uh, that'd be a pretty neat system. So I'd, I'd be in favor for it. Don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. I think that if people did their homework and say, well, how many players from, Florida, Texas, UCLA, how many of them actually got to be top 200 in the world? If that would be the number, top 150, or even higher to end up, you know, you could be higher to make money. You know, it depends on where you're from. I mean, for American to make money, uh, you know, I know for years, like a German player, 
very wealthy country, you know, they would do okay in their country. Yeah, they have a great they have a great league system, which which is something that allows them to um, to 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 play more. You know, they can play full tennis schedule, then they can play league matches, and think what a pretty put in pretty neat system that allows you know a thirteen year old to be playing against a thirty year old in a competitive environment. That um, so no, it's 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 definitely a, it's definitely a really neat system that they have in Germany. That and then I think it also allows for you know it's all based out of the club and people really you know support it and you know so it's something that continues to happen it'd be great to have that here in the states well i think the utr a lot of positives but a lot of negatives the utr in that sense i know dave fish stepped away should have been free it is you, you can self-rate now but imagine if you didn't have to write a check to play in a utr event and everybody's playing there'd be some sandbaggers like there's an is in golf you know, someone says, oh, my handicap is five, and you watch me hit the first ball off the tee. You know they're not a five handicap. Yeah. And same thing in tennis. There's somebody who say, yeah, you know, I'm a 12 and a UTR player, and you watch them just warm up. You know they're not a 12. Uh, but the way to have more tennis be played. But also, too, that uh, the fear factor that if you stop playing, but just think about these other events, I should say other sports where, you know, they have an off-season and, you know, I always think Tom Brady's probably the best example. It went to Michigan. You know, he's number five on the depth chart, and he was a redshirt. Yep. And, um, you know, so, hey, kid, you don't have a backhand volley. You know, so what are we going to do? Cross our fingers and pretend you're going to play? But I think a lot of times what happens is it's the same old problem at every, every level of tennis is the college coach wants to win, and they want to win now. Sure. And say, well, you know, we, we know that... It, you know, we have a good chance to win the conference if we put you in at six, but no, we're going to have you redshirt because we don't want you to be here all four years and play six. And I think that's one thing in college tennis is how many people actually move up. But no, at Florida, for example, at that level, number sixes are really good players. Yeah, I think I think when you get into the uh, high levels of college tennis, you're 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 looking at guys that have, um, you know one national goal balls that maybe they aren't maybe sometimes they're not in your lineup but uh yeah it's just super competitive and um but yeah i think there's a pretty high level you know number six is on on some national championship teams well i always tease and say that you know a young guy can be number two in his dorm room and the next year he thinks he's gonna be number one in the world where a lot of the a lot of the girls you know they're not in lineup and they they find a way to pursue something else but you know that where the guy will stay versus the gal he hangs in there longer um i think sometimes that comes down to especially the culture too you know and then obviously the uh you gotta you gotta have passion for what you do if you have a dream and you this is what you want to do nothing's going to stand in your way and you're going to continue to to work for it and um sometimes little little obstacles sometimes look like big mountains to a lot of players and, and people and you know just taking taking that time to to reassess and really understand that okay this is a little obstacle but if i this is really what i want to do i'm just going to put my nose to the near the stone and i'm going to and i'm going to work and you know i enjoy what i do so but no it, it you know i definitely think that you know sometimes you know people people get a little bit lose some confidence and lose that kind of belief but i think there's always if it's something that you want to do 
do it for as long as you can. Yeah, I think in all fairness to the coaches, more and more I would say it's very difficult to find a kid who understands delayed gratification. So you're going to take an entire year, and we're not even thinking about you being in a lineup. In fact, you know, you're going to show up and, you know, you're not even going to hit a live ball. <laughs> you know, we're going to have balls tossed to you and you need to have a ball machine. And But I think one question I ask for a lot of college tennis players, say they're not in the lineup on a men's team, what they need to do is talk to the women's coach and start at the bottom. The question I ask is, would the last guy on your tennis team beat the number one player on the men? I get the last player on the men's team. Would they beat the number one player on the women's team? There's almost 5,000 guys in the United States. For most schools, I say the answer is no. But the Macho Maligo, the last guy on the men's team, he needs to be playing anybody and everybody, but he's just pretending, you know. That's where I think that um, the tryout system, where there used to be walk-ons, and there'd be a walk-on tournament, whoever won the walk-on tournament. So say you're number 12 on the, the, the inner collegiate team and there's a walk-on tournament a young guy who wins it shows up or a gal and they did make it two out of three but you lose you're off the team because <laughs> yeah. now they get this guaranteed spot yeah i think i think every i think every program is slightly a little bit different um i think 12 is a pretty big number on teams these today i don't think that um yeah i think that there are programs that, that like to have that, that many and some, some programs like that, you know, want to have as few as eight. Um, so from just depending on, on how, how the coaches want to manage, manage uh, the athletes and things like that. So it's always definitely interesting, you know, with, uh, with, with, with roster sizes today, but I, yeah, I mean, I think the more, um, the more the more guys you have that are competitive and making sure that you know they're not just not on the team and they're happy to kind of wear the jersey um more guys you have that are really wanting to feel like they have that chance to play and they're wanting to practice every day it's just going to make it better ever tie tie tiger Ohio state say the toughest thing toughest part of his job is motivating the guys that are not in the lineup sure yeah i mean you know it's hard i get you know it'd be hard to Especially, especially growing up. I mean, tennis players are used to playing. Used to playing. Um, they've. I think the first time that, especially, you know, there's no bench in tennis in juniors. So unless your parents pull you out of the tournament and you're saying you're not playing, um, but the first time that you know players get introduced to the bench is is college tennis, which which is uh, which which is is great. Too bad there's not a bench in junior tennis. There'd probably be a little bit. You know, you get pulled out of. You get. You know, my youngest son gets pulled out of the gets pulled out of the soccer game for, you know, not not in a bad way, but he's he, like he's he's out of position and he's really not kind of in tune to what's going on and he's gonna sit on the bench. So if uh, you know, you always use, there's a connection between the brain and the bench. I think, hey, you know what, you you're running around your forehand in the defensive area of the red zone. It'd be nice to be able to say, hey. We're subbing, we're subbing you out <laughs> um, or, you know, certain things like that. But it's definitely, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a challenge to be able to, uh, um, you know, keep guys, keep guys hungry. And that's where I think it's super important to be able to, to recruit the players that love tennis. 
you know, if you get if you get players that just love tennis, they're they're going to you know want to practice. They're gonna it doesn't just you know yeah they're gonna want to play. And but if they love tennis, they're gonna work and find a way to make sure they are playing. But the more the more student athletes that you're able to find that really have a passion for the game, and you know, then then uh, it's always it's it's gonna be a lot easier to stay motivated. You're something that doesn't exist to my knowledge anymore. At one time in Florida, there's 32 junior college men's teams. So many foreign players. The level was very, very high. And the schools would have a tournament. So now the, the kids are traveling all over the country. But it's a, a, years and years ago, this goes back to the 70s, a coach would have a tournament. And you want to play this tournament, and he's going to watch you play. And, and you didn't necessarily have to win the tournament, but he could just see you on his campus. Right. So many things have changed. One thing that I really liked years ago on a college campus, say on a Tuesday, Wednesday, there's four people on your court, and there's a tournament, and there's going to be two semifinals. There's only four on the court, and there's going to be a final, and there's going to be a playoff for third place. And if you finish fourth, a lot of academies, volunteers did this at one time, is if you finish four, you move down. If you finish first, you move up. And a lot, of, a lot of times parents don't understand where, say, you're number 12 on the tennis team and you get a chance to play the number one player and you get waxed. I mean, it's a breadstick and a bagel. And they, they, a lot of times the tennis player, they think, okay, I'm going to play him next week. Right. And you may never play him again. Yeah. Because the depth chart, you're a long ways away. But that's where I think in some ways there's too many tournaments. You know, it's for in this clay court, I asked, there's 256 kids in it. Yep. I mean, Kalamazoo was, uh, I think it was 64. I would bet it was 64. It was on red clay in the 18s. Every match was best of five. In the uh, late 50s, Labor won it. So that was a mistake the USTA years ago. Uh, we weren't, as Americans, doing very well at Flamingo Park when the Orange Bowl was on clay. Well, we'll play on hard court. You know, not the South Americans so much, but the Europeans would be coming over. It was winter time. They hadn't been playing on clay, but you know, they grew up on it. But I think that we've made things uh, easier. Where, you know, the level twos, threes, and fours—I don't know if there's a five, six, seven now, whatever—but um, there's less tennis being played. You know, there's not that youth versus veteran match. You know, everything we're mentioning. I mean, we could say, yeah, that's basic. Yep. Get a, get a, get a uh, list of phone numbers, have the kid, you know, the young kid be able to get on the phone and say, hey, Mr. Rogers, you know, Dr. Brown, would you uh, like to play on Tuesday night? Could you, can, you know, I have an indoor court. And those those matches aren't happening. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I think, one, it delays maturity. Um, it definitely, I remember growing up, my dad would have me play men's day. So, you know, I'd have to go out there and you, you become a lot more aware, especially, um, of what's going on playing with, with, you know, whether you're playing doubles and I, I played a lot of doubles with, 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 um, older, older members of the club and, um, you know, you have to, you're going to become more mature. You're, you're, and I think that's huge with the maturity of, of players today and, being able to do that, I think you know. We sometimes we hear that it's hard to have phone phone call conversations with players. They're so used to texting and 
So yeah, I mean, it's it's a definitely it would it would improve being able to have, and that's why we're kind of going back to where that league system in Germany is is, is great because if you're on a team and you're 17, you could be playing against a 35 year old um, who's you know more mature as a as a, they played a lot more tennis, they just have a lot more experience, and you start you know you start seeing and figuring some things out a lot a lot you know hopefully sooner than later. Um, you know, I think that that's definitely a, a basic that would, would, would improve is being able to create, create that kind of play in, in everywhere in the States, especially. No, I think the sooner the better. My son, Connor, I gotta say he was uh, 16 and he played on a men's team in Germany. And he was just told, you know, they came around to match times. Hey kid, this isn't practice anymore. You need to win your match tonight. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a little bit. Of, There's a, a little, little bit pressure. pressure. A little bit different than having a fellow 16 year old tell you that. Yeah. It's, 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 Absolutely. The boys on the the men on the team. They, they say, hey, this, this is crunch time. We want to win because the way the league system works, if you finish first, you move up a league. If you finish last, you move down a league. Yeah. I think with uh, base basics, we should talk about. And I think it was a great podcast where we had with Gideon Ariel ground reaction for us to get set for a ball. I mean, the kids today um, at the tournament, I don't mean society, the kids today, but in the tournament, you got to pride yourself on being close to that baseline, taking the ball at waist level, but you got to get set to the ground. I mean, that's where the energy comes from. That's where you generate force. Yeah, I think, I think it starts with balance. And you think, you think of a lot about where it's, I think that's something where you don't see a ton of, of efficient footwork to, to get set up with with good balance to be able to, to create that force from the ground, from the ground up. And, um, but again, it comes back to, you know, it's all, it is all related. If you have a big swing and, you know, an inefficient grip and it's going to be, then there's timing elements involved, which then means there's timing elements involved of how your foot, how your feet are going to get set up and create that balance and force through the ground. So, um, well, the little kid grip, um, I mean, some people come to us, the little kid grip is conducive to a high bouncing ball. Now the transition balls, the red, the orange, the green dot. Yeah, in theory, you know, they're supposed to help, sure. but they really haven't. I mean, if you're in the trenches, you know, you're pounding the nails, you're teaching tennis, kids are still hanging on the racket. The late Bud Collins, it's not a Western grip, it's an Hawaiian grip. <laughs> and it's not just a grip, it's a, the wrist. The elbow. Elbow, the racket's almost hitting the earlobe. But you, you you mentioned balance for basics. When you have a high contact point, you're gonna have a shorter hitting zone, and you're not. It's gonna be so difficult to hit on balance. Yep. The um, tell the story I maybe mentioned the last time you were on with Peter Corda. There's a guy who he could improve his serve, but you know, in what we call the great base, and are you a great base, sir? I know you and I've rolled our eyes on that one. We should call it solid fundamentals. That young guy has solid fundamentals. Yep. Tell the story about watching him hit with his dad. Yeah, I, I always just remember it as I was in Bradenton um, recruiting a player, and you know, Sebi and, and Peter came, and you know, they rode up on their bikes. They lived pretty close to the facility, and um, Sebi was probably nine, ten, and they hit for like an hour from the service line, and and. Uh, 
and Peter just had Sebi just hit everything on balance. And if he was off balance and everything very, very still. And, um, so I, that's just always something. And then if you watch, if you watch Sebi today, then he's, he's incredibly balanced. And, and I think it, I think he's also with that. It doesn't mean that they're not dynamic. I think sometimes like there's also that dynamic balance of, Oh, I have to, I have to get to this ball and I have to be, um, I'm having to create that force, which then lifts me off the ground. They aren't jumping. It's they've, they've, they've loaded the legs and, and the, and the ground reaction is propelling them off the ground that, but they're still so balanced from the waist up. Everything's super still and, and staying, um, their head, especially their, um, you know, everything's just still through contact and, um, there's no extra movements. So I think, I think really being able to create that body awareness of balance, especially early on is, is extremely, you know, extremely crucial for, for players. Um, and you, and you, you can definitely tell, you know, players who've had some, some balance training that they, uh, you know, they move for the most part, they're, you know, pretty balanced all the time. Here's a term I share with parents you know, the human element, you never want to, a fellow human being, you never want to say, no, sorry, Charlie. It's too late. It's never too late. But the term burnt pancake, I ask people, hey, what do you do with a burnt pancake? They throw it away. And some, you know, their games are far gone. It's like, we have to go back to the drawing board. Awareness, acceptance, commitment. But today, a young player that you and I spent years hitting or coaching, teaching, coaching, hits the ball really well. But it'd be fun to do a research project he served volleyed half the time in doubles. Okay. But when he served in volleyed, he shifted his head. When he stayed back, he kept his head still. And he was doing much better serving, staying back because he was keeping his head still. And the brain's so sophisticated. So it's like he has, I'm watching this, he's got two different serves. When he serves in volleys, the head is shifting. And we know the brain's ahead of the hand. Inch, by fifth of a second, the inch, head inch or inch is the heaviest part of the body. It's going the wrong way. Then the brain's very sophisticated and they're getting their serve in, but now they're serving at, you know, 80 miles an hour. Right. Maybe, maybe 70. <laughs> um, but the fear factor, I mean, doesn't really hurt to get hit by a tennis ball. No. You know, obviously you people have to protect their eyes. In certain situations, okay, you know, I've, I mean, have to, I have to concede they're going to win the point. I don't, I don't need to get hit by the tennis ball. But I'll tell, I'll tell people it's not a hockey puck. It's not a lacrosse ball. But there's definitely a fear factor. I think is it a, then is it a fear factor of getting hit by the ball or is it an ego factor that they're going to come in and dump the volley? And then it's overall avoidance where it's like years have gone by now. Like, yeah, you were in the fifth grade. You were in the sixth grade. You were in the seventh grade. You were in the eighth grade. You were in the ninth grade. Now you're at this tournament, tenth level. Now you're going into your senior year, and eight years you've been playing doubles the wrong way. Yeah, then then it comes back down. Is it? Is it? I guess it would be if um, they don't have any. It's, I guess it's the fear that they don't have any confidence in their volley. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's just. I don't know if that's. You could, could say it's fear, or they just have like. Um, they're just, it's such a foreign concept for them to even think about. Um, so, so yeah. At the clay courts today, I mean, I saw a lot of 
good-sized boys. It was boys' tournament only. Athletic, competitive. They don't know that the light at the end of the tunnel is a train coming right at them. They're they're, going to go a long ways down the road. And um, it's like Luke Jensen says, everybody ends up somewhere. And, you know, are you really going to play D1 tennis? And then do the parents know, well, it's it's one thing to be able to be accepted by the school. Okay, you're going to be part of the team. No cut clause. You're on the team. Are you going to make the team? Where are you going to be in the lineup? I tell the parents all the time and their kid, go to the website. You can go to the archives and see how someone did. That's one thing about a lot of my students got in some, many of my students got in trouble for embellishing their playing background years ago. You can't really do that with the internet. Yeah. I tell people I played tennis like Arthur Ashe's brother, Jack Ash. But, (laughs) but, but with that, um, you know, there's just so many different levels. Then are you going to, are you going to win matches at six? Um, are you going to, you know, like most people, you you could talk about this. Like, what's it mean make the tournament, college tennis? I think everyone's a little bit different. I think at your top programs, tournament starts in the round of sixteen, so you're winning uh, two your first two matches of of the NCAA tournament. Then on the individual side, individual side is obviously you're in the top. You're in the top. Uh, you're in the individual singles tournament. Um, and that's not easy to do. It's not really just top 64. No, it's really not. There's, there's a, um, I don't, it's, it's, it's changed. It's varied a little bit through the years, but there's, there's, there's regions within college tennis. And, um, if you're top in your region and you have a, um, a national collegiate ranking, um, then you will, you could be maybe it's 118 or 90, but you're um, there's no one from your region that's in on the automatic. Then you would, uh, and I could be saying this wrong, but then you'd have that spot in. So then there's less at large bids. So sometimes it's usually maybe the cutoff is around 46, 40, 48, and then there's some other, then you have your regional selections and then, um, so yeah, it's not it's not necessarily a true. I'm ranked 63. I'm in. Um, well, I know with the, yeah. the Ivy Leagues, they're, they've improved their tennis tremendously in recent years, maybe the last 10 years. But I can remember where someone would say win the Ivies and they would be ranked like 60, 70, and they would get in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it it it, it does come down to kind of. Um, a couple of little different factors. It's not, it's not a straight, I'm one through 64. That's, you know, you're in. So there is a little bit of variability there. I think Wayne Bryan is, I would guess that he's retired. You know, read much about Wayne Bryan anymore, but you know, he, he was somebody who certainly, I mean, what an amazing job he and his wife did with his, the two boys, but to go watch a college tennis match. There's so many juniors, the parents, I say, you know, instead of going to have tournament, why don't you skip this weekend and go watch a college tennis match? Yeah, I think, I think it would be, I think it's, I think it's a great learning environment for, for a lot of, a lot of players and coaches and, and parents to, to really understand the level of, of college tennis, the environment, um, you know, for, for, for players to come up and watch a university of, of Florida match, the level is going to be really good one through six. And anyone that 
Lord is playing against, the level is going to be pretty good, one through six. So really, really having an eye-opening experience to to really understand to understand the level and and really kind of like you know like you said like oh let's look at the let's look at the roster. Wow, this guy was playing number six. He was top ten in the U.S. Dang, that's uh, and he's playing six. Um, so, so the depth and, and the level of college tennis is, um, you know, it's really, really strong. So really, yeah, encourage anyone who has, you know, aspiring to play college tennis and you haven't seen a college tennis match. Oh, my son, Connor, college tennis match. you know, he played for you when you were at Florida state and he transferred to Ohio state. He played six his junior year and they had three guys that were not in the lineup that had ATP points. Yeah. So again, don't want to discourage anyone, but you know, mm-hmm. it's like you can get there, but the sooner the better that you start on basics. The the formula from Vic Braden, winning. Confidence comes from winning. Winning comes from skills. Skills come from practice and know-how. And I think people are short on practice with when we're talking about your children and you know uh, Brian Shelton's son playing other sports, being a quarterback with becoming an athlete first, but it's fundamentals. I think, I think a lot of tennis kids early on, and I think we were making a mistake in tennis by not having cross training. I think tennis coaches that are working with kids, you know, you know, the early childhood development should have about basketballs and soccer balls and, and say, okay, we're doing this, this, and this, and we're working on all these different things to become an athlete. Like in the Soviet, not, and I should say in Russia, you go to an indoor center in Russia, it's very common that one tennis court, just all, there's no tennis on that court. It's just all gymnastics. Sure. And, we ha- and they're treated like athletes. Yeah. And they're, you know, there's intensity with the little kids class. It's not glorified babysitting. Right. But they, they just start at a very early age. You know, the USTA, I mean, there's been so many things over the years. At one time, I think this was back when Doug McCurdy, uh, not that he was the one who uh, implemented this at all, but they dropped 12 and under rankings. And then what happened was, well, yeah, I didn't have a, I, I, there was not a 12th national one when I was growing up. So 14s. Yeah. We used to have what was called the Mayor's Cup. So What's that? Basically, it was a term of, um, it was no, I can't. It, it may I might be saying it, but basically, after you played sectionals, which I grew up in the South, so I was in Southerns, and they had all the sectionals around the country. Your, um, you were selected to, uh, if you you know, depending on where you finished, maybe it was like top six or top five or something like that. Then you were, then you were selected to this uh, cup, but there was no national twelves like there is right now with 128 or however big the draws are. So my first national event um, was, wasn't until I was 13 being able to play 14s nationals, um, which for me and the boys was in San Antonio, Texas. Um, So there was not a a national like there are today. So I don't know. I got in that, and that changed um, not too long. I was still in, still playing juniors when I think that changed. I think, I think my youngest sister maybe played 12s nationals. Um, but yeah, I, there wasn't 12s, there wasn't 12s nationals when I was growing up. So obviously the, the Spaniard, I think he was six in the world. 
Jose Garris, I'm sure he spent a lot of time around because he did big influence on the USTA. Was he with the USTA when you were there? For yeah, sure. spent a lot of time with Jose. He had a great line, 12 year olds. Someone's got to win. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's 64 12 year olds in a tournament. Who's going to win? One 12 year old. And I, I mean, on these podcasts, we've talked about hockey. My background was you're 12, you're a peewee. The division before that, you're called a squirt. It's not high performance, it's not world class. But then, the, you know, the number of matches, um, you know, the, the UTR was set up based on the French system, so it would be less travel, more match play, making tennis less expensive. Um, I think going way back, I remember saying this in a meeting with the USTA, or Jose Aguirre saying, that's a great idea. But then he wasn't in charge because he's in player development. And the idea was to have a form tournament because we've done that for years with camps. You know, we took Dennis Vandermeer's idea of having prizes, you know, took Welly Van Horn's, you know, hit, hold, balance, checkpoints, check the checkpoints, then Braden information. And we had the very first day of this camp where we put all these different systems together at Tyler Junior College. They had a gym for these girls that performed halftime at the Super Bowl. It was just covered with mirrors. We spent the first day in that gym. And by the time the kids left, I mean, we had a staff that trained nine months to be part of that camp. Right. So it was a very unique setting. And, but, you know, then do people stay the course? Do they have someone who can, that can hold their hand through the progression? And, you know, kids, they, they, in the end, they need to have fun, but say, okay, this is a form tournament. And now we're going to go play lightning ball, you know, dodgeball. We're going to have some fun. Right. We're going to throw water balloons at each other. We're going to play tag. But to have kids play tennis the wrong way, it's almost like having little kids say, okay, you're going to ride this bicycle that's taller than you are. They're not going to ride the bicycle. Right. So tennis does need to be scaled down. Now, years ago, people just take a wooden racket. I think that's where the red ball, the orange ball, it's kind of an insult to old coaches where you, know, you just take a wooden racket back in the day, you cut it off. And the rule is you have to hit the ball soft. You cannot hit the ball hard. And then you play mini tennis. You know, the USTA, there's lots of money being spent. I was in um, charge of a tennis program at a public facility. And they wanted to downsize how many clay courts they had. And I said, well, this is what could be done. And the USTA, they put in almost 100000 The college put in almost 100000 And then they have, this is in Tampa, they have all these 36-foot courts. And I'm thinking, really, do they really need to do that? The service line, the service line is 42 feet. And now, you know, pickleball is invading, invading tennis. But with, with basics, um, coming back to doubles, we beat up some kids today. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But if everybody were to play 15 minutes of ghost doubles, you know, we had Ed Kras on one of these podcasts. You know, he made it a game, one-on-one -on -one doubles. Or we could... Um, Say, okay, we're going to play one bounce doubles. And then the rules will change the tactics. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, I've done this for years with tennis players. Okay, you, you're going to play a match. The first set, you know, you random number, first set, you're going to have, you each can hit three ground strokes. That means a total of six ground strokes. Serve, return, six ground strokes. Then we're going to reduce it. The next, it's three ground strokes. And then the next, no ground strokes. 
you know, okay, we'll play short sets, but we're going to force you to go forward. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you got to find, you got to be, you got to find ways to trick players. 15 minutes of ghost doubles. I think another one is just playing straight ahead. You can go back to, um, even do it with the serve. It'll help the player stay sideways. So you have a tendency to open up, but then still have them go forward, serve and volley, have them work on that first volley, keeping it right in front of them, holding the line. And, you know, it's a, that's another great way. Also, if they have a tendency to, to run around their backhand volley, it's like, no, if it comes straight at you, you're just taking a backhand volley and just going forward. And I think figure, you know, keeping things really, really simple. I think that's the other, I think that'd be another basic that I would talk about is, keeping things simple. Don't, you know, don't try and add any extra, extra sauce or, you know, the, the, the athletes, you know, they're going to have their own individuality with, with everything that they do. So I think just keeping everything, you know, extremely basic, extremely simple. You know, I think you look at, you know, as we, as we've talked through this, I was just thinking, you know, you look at, you look at running backs and, and, and football, they're, the quarterback, they're 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 gonna this this way every time. It's not like they're handing it off like under their armpit. It's right in the gut, and their hands are a certain way. Um, you know, we talked about how how um, you know the basics, catching skills of. You look at baseball players today. You know, they're still. It's not like they're. You know, if there's if they have time and they're not in a in an awkward position, they're still having their opposite hand. You know, spot the the catching hand. So I think I think there's definitely those basics for for everything, and you can and you can find it at the highest levels. It's just understanding with uh, just being brilliant with those basics because they are going to stand. You know, you're going to keep having to repeat them. I, I ask kids all the time, "Do you know what a fumble is?" <laughs> and they don't know. American kid not knowing what a fumble is. I tell girls, and you need to watch football with your dad. No, I tell people if, if if a running back takes the handoff from the quarterback and they just have one hand on the ball going up the middle, everybody, 100,000 people in the stadium are going to be going crazy because they just know. Yep. But to me, when a kid is taking a routine ball, baseline to baseline, and they're missing it wide, it's a fumble. It's a mistake. And for that unforced error, they have to win two points to be back at even. Right. I mean, excuse me, they, have to, they make an unforced error, they have to win two points to be ahead by one. So I mean, it's just the unforced errors just kill people. Yeah, I think playing. I think you know, going back to those basics is is really how do you? We talked about the, the tram lines or the percentage post and percentage line, and is really you know putting those putting that up on a daily basis to where it becomes where the kids start seeing players start seeing the court that way, being able to um, you know even if you miss outside of those tram lines and the ball's still in, it's still out. So then they understand margins and they understand that um, in, in things. But yeah, I mean, you're behind the, just being able to stay calm in the rally. That's a basic being able to, can you rally from, can you, there's some even advanced players that can't rally hundred balls in a row. Um, you know, being able to just consistently rally, um, being in good position, having you know, we talked about having good balance and, and having good good forces coming from the ground is um, can you just hit the ball back in the in the big blue or whatever color is the court these days? Um, you know, can you hit it back and forth? I had a parent who you, you know well, you've worked with his kids. 
we have together for years and years now. And he sent me, you know, you get a text message, boom, you look at it. And he said, this t-shirt sums up the tournament, meaning the clay court nationals. And it said widespread panic, <laughs> widespread panic. But when Matt referred to the half a court, that's 13 and a half feet. And you just play straight ahead. Play straight ahead. No, I've done it before where someone, if they miss wide, they automatically lose the game. Yeah. But I think one of the toughest drills, you know, talk about basic, is just keep the racket in the alley. We'll have people, we do it where they drop hit in the alley or they do double hits in the alley. But you say, oh, go, go play a set in the alley. I mean, they're going to come back in just a few minutes. Yeah, it's going to be pretty quick. Because they just, they can't, but really good players. Years ago at Four Seals, when the grass was bad, you'd watch these good players because the, the, the alley, the grass was good. Right. And they'd go over there and they would hit. With, um, you know, hitting the target, accountability, like what just happened. I think many players, they, they, they leave the court. Something that's a basic on stats is just the plus minus. Right. When they leave the court, if they won, they played well. If they lost, they didn't play well. And really they played the same. They played the same. It's just, you know, who they played. And, you know, you think the differential and the emotions with, but that would be a basic is do you know the plus minus? Do you know how to chart a match? We tell people put a clipboard and, you know, it's, we've been told that if you use a pen and write, you have a better chance of remembering versus if you're typing it and say on your phone and you're going to turn the tennis channel on here in the U.S., just, you know, we're down to 10 points now. It used to be 20. 10, player, 10 points for one player serving, 10 points for the other. And then chart, like, what happened? Actually watch the pros. Yeah, really. really I think that especially with technology today, and, and you see those, those flash up on, on TV when you're watching matches is, you know, some numbers here and there where they're serving. And I think with technology today, there's, there's, there's really cool apps that will – kind of chart the matches for you. There's one that's called Swing Vision that's really neat that you can put it on your phone and it'll basically the it'll chart the match for you so it's in its instant. Now that's also taking away from from a player sitting there learning to chart, but it's giving them the information so when they come off where it's instant, which is great. And then uh, a friend of ours, Warren Pretorius, has a, has a company, Tennis Analytics, that has, uh, you know, millions of matches and points of data that uh but i think with 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 a basic is is film it, i think that's it's a that's that's a that's a big one from whether it's practices to um it's definitely a basic in the nba and it's definitely a basic in the nfl and college football is is going over film watching you know watching where mistakes are made watching where Good things are happening, so then it creates that awareness for that player to understand and increase their IQ and make better decisions on the court. Um, obviously, film is like looking in the mirror. It's an out-of-body experience, so you are, you know, seeing is believing a lot of the time. So instead of the coach being like, man, I'm telling you, like, you have to do this better. You're changing direction of the ball from too deep in the court and, ah, you know, and they keep doing it. Well, then it's finally, if you can put it in their face, and then it's like, Oh wow, um, that's sometimes what it what it takes a lot. Or being able to to look at a stat of you know really cre again we're talking about awareness of hey I'm serving out wide on the on the ad side sixty two percent of the time but I'm only winning thirty eight percent 
and I serve up the tea and serve up the tea 30% and I'm winning 80%. Well, I'd say you'd want to reverse those, especially if the winning percentage is so it's really, I think there's, there's so many, there's so many opportunities, especially with, with the technologies that we have today for, for players to, to gain a better tactical understanding of, of some statistics, you know, and hopefully, you know, the coaches that, that are helping and can be able to, you know, create a, a plan and applic an application to be able to, you know, help those players see and understand and develop their games better. For our listeners, uh, Warren Vittori was on one of our podcasts. I'd recommend to go back and listen to it if you haven't. Bright, bright guy. For us film, we film someone serve. And then we say, okay, make a poster of Don Leary's word picture method. It's his, his, his concept. He wrote a book called The Teaching Pro. And we have different images and say that he used, you know, like from the ground up, the Dennis Vandermeer used to have two bathroom scales, weight forward and bathroom scale one, bring weight back and bathroom scale two, front foot's like the mashed potato, pivot foot in basketball. And it just, you know, it's as many images as letters in the alphabet. Then you hang a string from the ceiling, put a little piece of tape at your outstretched arm and racket, put up mirrors, get a tripod, film it, get a practice log. And do it twice a day, just for a few minutes in your garage, your basement, spare room. And then we ask kids, do they do it? I mean, we tell people, if you're following our program to the nth degree, this is how you follow. This is how you do it. And I mean, I would say someone at the University of Florida, incoming freshman, they're going to change their serve. They need to, on top of having the academics handled and being challenged, coming out of high school and now being on college campus, is that you have to really do those type of things to make changes. And you have to isolate and, you know, it's like Tom Brady, the quarterback, you know, he's doing the same thing when he takes a snap, same crossover, same plant that his dad taught him when he was in elementary school. Yep. I think that's one thing that's really missing in tennis where like, look at the other sports and that, you know, if you, you go from one sport to the next on your campus, University of Florida, every sport's going to be just working on basics. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's where it's at. You're going to fundamentals, fundamentals, you know, you're going to every day you're going to just like wake it's I, I, routines. What are your, what are your routines? That's very, that's very basic. That's very one oh one. How good are your routines? And, and then are you, are you switched on? One of our parents, he was here visiting and I, I said, Hey, there's two things that you've said that I use all the time. You know, he refers to you're the author of your own story. You know, he says, well, how's this movie going to end up? You know, some kids playing out, hey, how's your movie going to end up? But he also says, are you a switched on kid? Yep. And the brain will produce myelin at a faster rate if you're switched on. But that does the, you know, the tennis kid, because you can, parents can find tournaments at every level, there's no fear of getting cut. You know, I ask kids now, what's it mean to get cut? That's a basic principle in sport, and they don't know what it means. You mean you get you cut? Mean, yeah, you mean to like, do I need a Band-Aid for it? Right, am I going to bleed? Because <laughs> there's going to be a piece of paper, there's going to be a list of names, and you're you're going to be at the bottom of the list, and they're going to take a scissors, they're going to cut the list, and, you know, there's 20 kids out here trying out, and they're only keeping 10. Right. Um, they don't know how that works. Yeah, no, it's, it's that, that we were talking about a little bit earlier, is I think that's the first time, especially from a tennis standpoint, um, is the first time that a tennis player will feel the, you know, feel that kind of the bench, 
is is where you have only six spots, at least from a singles lineup perspective, and you, know, you only have six spots for doubles. And some players will play only singles. Some players will only play doubles. Some players, you know, won't play either. You might only have your six singles players are playing six, you know, the doubles as well. So, and depending on the size of your team, whether it's eight, nine, twelve, fifteen, you know, there's only there's only six guys you can play singles. So there's going to be someone sitting out, and that's that's the first time that, that sometimes players experience that. Um, so it's definitely, you know, I'm I'm a fan of. I wish there was more of a bench in in junior tennis. I like one of your your lines. Though, they've, you know, they've never been on a big stage, or this is to them a big stage. You know, a friend of ours, uh, Doctor Dom Lausick, he was here. I say dumb and lousy. That a friend of his uh, has this nine year old daughter, and, and I think the the older brother, you know, it really could be a special setup where they practice together. And she's been a gymnast. She's. Won a national title in the vault. Okay, she's nine years old, so she shows up and she has no stage fright. She's not afraid to raise her hand and ask. Not sure. knowing securities of the people that are around her, and there's so many intangibles that need to be taught. But I, I felt that today that the kids just, you know, like national clay courts. This is the big deal, and uh, but the sooner the better. You can have a kid overcome stage fright. You know, we do it where, okay, get in front of everybody, tell a joke, tell a story, sing a song. Dance. Mm-hmm. Dance, dance, dance. There you go. I did that today. <laughs> you were there. Um, they were not very good dancers, but the thing is, is they, did, they all did it. And right. it's like, yeah, what's the big deal? Just, just you got to dance for five seconds. Yep. They, they look at you shocked. Yep. And, you know, you could just see them get, you know, again, widespread panic. But no one's saying that you have to be ready for America's Got Talent. Let's just see you dance a little bit. That's something, too, where, you know, kids, you know, I say, just let's see you just take a basketball, zigzag, go with your right hand, now go with your left hand, go backwards. We work in a gym every Saturday, and we take the kids to the beach, take the kids to the track. And the thing is, is that then they're just visiting. Sure. Are they going to go home and be clever? Go, okay, they made us do this with a basketball. It made us do this with a soccer ball. And we say, go home and do the driveway workout. You know, get an old racket from a garage uh, garage sale. Garage. Um, yeah, garage sale, I guess. Yard sale. And you get an old racket. Just, you just get one. Go in your backyard, throw it, and then work on the running technique that yep. we showed you. Go get it. You don't need to be at the, you know, you need to take the, the program home with you. Right. And take ownership and then that's the whole thing, be the independent thinker and the problem solver. Yeah, no, it's it's really important. I was actually, a couple of the kids that are my daughter's age, the parents, you know, 10-year-old, you know, 10-year-old parents, they're going through the, the tennis for the first time. And it's kind of their, uh, well, you know, we need, you know, you know any coaches in the area? Well, yeah, I know some, I know coaches, a lot of coaches everywhere. But what, um, you know, what you have to do is you have to be creative. They, You have to be able to, you know, they don't constantly need a, a coach with them. They know routines like, oh, like you were just saying. You know, do you have any? Do you have any? How many rackets? Oh, I only have one racket. Well, does your mom have a racket? Yeah. Does your dad have a racket? Yeah. Does your brother have a racket? Yeah. Well, that's four rackets. You can go throw those in the in the yard. Don't throw them on the concrete, but go throw them in the yard. Or, um, 
you know, just being, uh, is there a, is there a wall that you can hit on? Um, you know, just being that, having that passion to figure out, I'm going to find a way, um, having that competitiveness to be able to say, this is what something that I want to do. And, but I mean, again, I think where everything's so instant, you know, you said it's hard for kids today with delayed gratification. I think, um, you know, used to, used to not be able to, you know, if you went overseas, you wouldn't be talking to your parents for, you know, weeks until you got on a payphone. Well, now you can FaceTime your parents once you land and everything is instant. So it's, it's definitely finding that trickery to be able to, um, but again, it, it does come down to that individual. If, if the one, is he going to hit him or her going to be able to, you know, put the phone down or turn the TV off or the iPad and like, Hey, this is, I'm, you know, I'm going to get better at this. And so, well, you're the older brother. I'm the younger brother. Mark Costello, I've known Mark Costello almost 60 years now. I hear from him all the time. He's coached ice hockey as long as I've coached tennis. We grew up together and went through a different set of circumstances. I said, you know, I don't know how I'm going to make a living. What am I going to do? I wasn't going to make the NHL. So short story long, long story short, we're both withdrawing from school, dropping out <laughs> at the same age. And... I remember saying, Costello, you can't drop out. You're the older brother. I said, I can drop out. I'm the younger brother. And one of the reasons I could drop out is they dropped the, the draft um, where if, if I had dropped out like the year before, you'd be going to Vietnam. Yeah. But I was going to go to Florida and, and make, make a way in tennis. So I think Dennis Vandermeer had the line, be your brother's keeper. And that doesn't exist. That's a basic principle. We'll go back to basics. Do you have leadership within a program? Are the older players pulling the younger players? A lot of times to keep everybody happy. I don't know the key to success, but I know the key to failure, make everybody happy. So the groups, the older kids, they don't know the younger kids. They can't even say hello to them because they don't even know their names. Sure. So you've got, okay, we're the top hotshot 16, 17, 18 year olds. And they don't even know the four, five, six, seven year olds. We have all start together. And so just hang out. We'll, we'll eventually get it going. But I do think that, you know, be your brother's keeper. We have a young boy here. Tomorrow will be a sixth day. And I'll ask him tomorrow, be your brother's keeper. Like, just treating him like I'm the older brother. Say, come here. Did you go to the website? We have this course called Great Base. I think it's 17 five-minute films. Did you watch it? Uh, no. That's what I'm betting on because he's over for 5. I said, we have another course that is about the same length. Actually, it's shorter but it's still five minute videos and you know, it backwards and forwards and someone that, you know, we spent a lot of time with Victor Lillo. He was there for five years where, so he's on this film and he's hitting off the cone at age eight and he's age 13 and he, Oh, he's a national champion. Oh, he won the orange bowl. He won the La Petite's. and you know, that's what you have to do. And it's free. It's free. Now that you've been here, you know, the videos will come alive more. They'll kind of jump out. Mike Larshide said that, well, they've been here. Then they go to the videos but I think parents just think, well, somebody else has to do it. You know, um, Cole Reeves had him on as a guest. And, you know, this is not to say, okay, we're going to shock the tennis world, but you know, it's almost like eliminate the pro. Instead of you don't need to go see a pro every day. You know, you're playing other sports. You can come home and go, they show me what to do on the forehand. You know, I just take my racket and I just trace it against the fence, the basic routines. And then you got to do it over and over again, just because then you get bored with it because you understand it intellectually, but no, you got to own it instinctually. Yep. And these wall exercises, it's no different than a, a kid 
okay, I got to be able to dribble the basketball in and out of the cones. And with tennis kids just think, well, I'll just play. Yeah, there's a reason Steph Curry is Steph Curry. Yeah. You know, he's going to he's gonna go work on his basic shot. And, you know, and then he's going to go work on his first step dribble to his right with a basic shot. Then he's going to work on his first step dribble to his left with a basic shot. He's going to hit, you know, he's not going to leave the gym until he hits 100 threes. Um, so, yeah, you think of Pete Sampras, arguably one of the best servers in the world. He'd hit 100 serves every day. So that's just where it's, and again, it's just because it depends on the level that in that you're at. But if you're eight years old and you need to, you know, obviously an eight-year-old is going to need guidance and, and leadership. And, um, but, hey, you need, to, you need to do this on your forehand every day. You need to do this on your forehand volley, your backhand volley, on your overhead. Then you just, you know, you just create that, that discipline. And I think that's the other basic is discipline. You know, you got to have discipline. You know, you can't, it's one thing, um, you can be passionate about something, but if you don't have the discipline to, and with the accountability or having someone lead you and teach you how to, how to be disciplined, then, you know. Yeah, our rule, rule one, you know, with discipline, we always ask, you know, the pain of discipline, pain of regret, one lasts a lifetime. Going back with uh, Nick Curios. I read where three coaches, I shouldn't say three coaches, three fantastic players offered to coach him. And I was, it was Connors and McEnroe, which I wasn't surprised by, but Sampras. Wow. And I, mean, I don't know if that's true, but I read that. So, um, you know, I heard Jim Courier, you know, that's where he said, well, no one's going to volley like Sampras again, where he comes in and the racket faces flat. And that's, that's where we have to look at film. You know, what are they doing at the impact point with, um, but, you know, with, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, and that's where, like, you know, I mentioned the Sam Query or, uh, you know, Nick Kyrgios finessing the volleys. They're making, you know, what are they making? This guy's making $20,000 a week on the average, this case, you know. Yeah, they, I mean, they do so many things so well. I mean, just, just so many times trying to take, there's times where you, you know, you how you know takes under? I think it's understanding taking speed off the ball and where you watch it, where you watch pro players today. And again, like you know, we talk about finessing balls. It's just there's time that you need to actually do need to finesse it a little bit because you're going to have to. You know, do you have the hands and skills? But but can you do both? Can you come in? And no, no, you have to be able, you to, be able to do both. Well, you Van Horn, you have to be able to improvise Absolutely. within a fundamental range of correction. Exactly, Vic Braden, you can't violate physical laws. Where Vic, uh, young player, um, you know, he, he did quite well in college tennis. And Vic, Vic saying he's got to learn to hit some balls thirty miles an hour. <laughs> you know, take speed off of it and be yeah. able to, you know, okay, I have to finesse this low one-handed backhand approach. Yeah, uh, there's some more, more variable. I was I was told by Bill Jacobs at one time there's more variables in tennis than there are in chess. But say like a TFO, I mean, he's doing so well. And you've read where Wayne Ferrer is really, you know, you got him off the cell phone. Like you said earlier, making him basic, be more professional. What is he doing with his time? You know, now TFO and, and Fritz, Coco Goff, you know, think about winning the Grand Slam. But then at the same time, winning multiple number of Grand Slams. Like I, I read uh, our fact checker, I think it's 34. Chris Everett was, has the record for being in the most finals. You know, oh, men or women? Yeah, where she, um, you know, 
Djokovic, which at what, 30 or what's he, he at now, 32? Yeah, he just surpassed, uh, I think, the Fed, right? The Fed, yeah. With, but Everett could hit the ball so deep. And her, her game, you know, she, certainly she's on her forehand. She could play side spin. She, she could do a number of different things, but she had balance. She had a good contact point. She had a long follow-through. You know, this term, uh, old school, I believe it was uh, the girl who got to the finals. Um from Tunisia. Jabor. Jabor. Where yeah. somebody, somebody in her booth had this, this shirt said old school. I was asked that today at the tournament. Somebody said, yeah, yeah, look at your content. And it's really helping our junior program. Have an academy. And, you know, I hear that it's, it's, it's old school. And I go, no. Old school, new school, there is no school. Um, you know, certainly you could say it's old school, but it is fundamentals. You know, it's, it's just fundamentals and fundamentals stand the test of time. Yeah, no, brilliant with basics, and you just, uh, and from level to level, the only thing that changes is the speed at which you have to execute the basic. So if the basics are a little bit off in the in the beginning, or a lot off, it's going to be harder to execute those basics when they're, uh, when it's coming really fast at you. Let's just talk about a couple more things. Time. Young kid comes in, his mother's here, daughter's. The daughter's in the 12 nationals. The son is tagging along. Don't know this, but we're working with them, working with them. We filmed the daughter, but, you know, we made the film. We told the mother, no, just let her go play the tournament. But the son, we just go to work. We actually did a, a second filming, a post-filming today. So he's, only, he's been here for a few days, and he's going to a tournament. Oh, jeez. He's going to a level six, up in age group. And I go, well, why are you going to tournament? He goes, I got to get points. And I go, no, no. Your game will get you points. Points won't get you game. That's right. You need to work on your game. Yep. But I think that it, you know, people are so, even at a high level, high level in juniors, they have so much apprehension of taking some time off. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have to be able to see a bigger picture. I think that that's, that's something that's, uh, I, that you have to be able to... Um, yeah, see down the line and, and understand that, you know, not be afraid of, of change. Too many times people are more afraid of change and and instead of uh, more afraid to change than afraid to um, do anything else. So they need to, I think you look at even Nadal, Nadal, Nadal serves improved so much throughout his career. He's made multiple changes through it. And um, even Djokovic, Djokovic, you know, used went through a, a period of time where he's a full palm up serve. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think as long as you're willing to put the work in and, and understand that sometimes it might get a little bit worse before it gets better, but it's kind of, if it's getting better, that's, that's where, that's a good thing. When but, you, when you were coming up in junior tennis, there was no UTR. So now I guess the magic number is six. If you, uh, if you've, what is it? You lose more than six games. Uh, so if it's two and two, you beat somebody two and two, your UTR can go up. But if it's whatever, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. But with that, obviously, when you were younger, coming up, you could play a match, lose the first set, and go, "I got this." Now the third set's a ten point tiebreaker, and now if you lose that first set, your UTR goes down, and it's just it's. I always tell people there's a lot of things in tennis that are crazy, but you don't have to be crazy. Yeah. Just basics, you know, when it comes down to 
Agassiz, I think, said it quite well. Move your feet. You know, get, you know, just all these short sentences. Move your feet, get in position, have a good contact point, take a good swing, do a big target, and breathe. And you, and you just, and repeat. It's like, you know, it's like, how's it when you wash dishes or you, you rinse and repeat or whatever. Yeah. Just over and over and over again. Yeah, it's, that's, uh, there's no entertainment value. No, you, know? you, you gotta be, you gotta be okay just doing the same boring thing over and over. But no, the, at the end of the day, no one gets bored of winning. Yeah, Vic Braden, rats. I won again. <laughs> but, but with uh, what you're saying, though, big picture, you know, I think also, too, with one's work ethic is the bigger the dream, the bigger the work ethic. For sure. But they really need to know time management. That this is going to take time. Anything worthwhile. It's just like, you know, some kid plays the piano. They're not ready for Carnegie Hall. Well, and they're also, they, they have to understand time, but they... Um, they have to understand that they have to work like they don't have time, but they under, but they have time, you know, they have to have that work ethic of, you know, gosh, I gotta, you know, I have to take care of this. But the other thing too, is when, well, oh, how long is this going to take? Well, if you're thinking like that, then it's not the right way to think. It's just like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, this is, this is what I'm going to do. But if you're kind of, well, you know, once you start putting a little bit of a timetable on it, then then there is a, a life a life expectancy on it. And so once they start hitting that, oh, I can do this for three weeks, no problem. But then when it's like, oh, I've done it for three weeks, it's not where, I, where it needs to be. Like there, then, then the widespread panic sits in even more. So they got to understand that it's, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not a quick fix. Well, your father, Ernie, who's been a tennis pro forever, he worked with Harry Hopman. Well, one, there's a lot to be said about fitness you know, getting to the ball, being able to just go out and, you know, three hours later, you're fresh as a daisy. Yeah. But you think your dad being in the Carolinas and Dennis Vandermeer based, being based in Hilton Head for so many years, Dennis would teach the serve and the overhead. You teach the volley. And then you say, okay, now just turn like for a volley and just go around. Just make the, make a C. Oh, okay. Now you know how to play doubles. <laughs> and, you know, we talk about doubles today. You, you start off, you have a serve, talking about players at Wimbledon, you have a serve, you have a return. Can you hit a volley? Can you hit an overhead? And if it then go and play the right way, you know, we have it, we play doubles all the time. We say you can't poach. Just automatic return cross court, don't right. poach so the player can learn to volley. Right. Singles, you talk about depth. Can you hit deep, wait for the short ball? Like today, I didn't really see approach shots. They weren't hitting approach shots with the idea that they could volley. Yeah, it's a lot of, I think even, you don't see as many conventional approach shots. You see a lot of maybe sometimes hit and run. So they're, you know, they're playing a, I guess it's an offensive shot from a defensive position. They put the player in a defensive position um, and they're, they're hitting and running. Um, That is a way to get to the net, but yeah, but there's, there's, there was a lot of, um, a lot of short ball opportunities to be able to, um, play play approach shots on and 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 get in and then but then can you can you play one volley deep and then can you set yourself up instead of you know i think too many times you see it a lot where you know you see it a lot in college you see it a lot in juniors i think you'll even see it at at, at a certain level at, at the pros but they'll they'll get in and they're they're thinking like i'm supposed to finish the volley on the first shot instead of like no we'll 
depending on where you're at, are you taking the ball below net level? Is it how, what's your proximity to the net? Um, what's the, what's the, what's the play here? It's still, you treat it just like it's a, it's a ground stroke. I'm going to hit the ball, hit the ball deep. And then there's an approach shot to, to set up the point. So maybe you play a first volley to set up your second volley, or you're hopefully you're getting an overhead to finish the point. So, um, understanding that, you know, you, you hear a, a two ball pass. I'm going to make him volley on the first to set myself up on the second pass for a better passing shot. It's the same thing when you, when you're coming to the net, a basic concept of, you know, a first volley to set up a second volley. Vic Braden used to always talk about the anxiety level. You know, the anxiety goes way up when they go to the net. The approach shot becomes an anxiety shot. Yep. You know, you got to trust your volley. You got to value volume position. You know, we just draw an X in the service box, as you know, call it the treasure. I saw so many kids today, and a lot of it's going to be because of the grip, the angle of the rack face, the elbows in, and again, they have to finesse the volley. They can't. You can tell by the sound of the ball being hit. They're not the term be hit by a stick. They're not sticking the volley with. But then also too, when basics, you know, the kids, the kids lose, the kids win, they leave the court, they don't stretch. Yeah, just routines. What's the, what's the routine? What is yeah. what is what's the professionalism of? I'm gonna I'm gonna how am I gonna warm up? How am I gonna take care of myself during the match from an eating routine? How am I toweling in between points? How am I, you know, just there's so many different kinds of little routines, but then just as you were talking about, um, what am I doing after the match to take care of my body to make sure I can play again the next day at the level that I want to? Um, whether it's hopping on the, going for a light jog, whether it's hopping on a bike, um, how soon am I eating after my match to, to make sure that, so again, there's there's so many, that's kind of the details that when you, when you see um, you were talking about it earlier is just the professionalism. That's just another level of professionalism, taking care of all those details, not only on the court, but the prior, you know, for the, for the court and, and after the match, uh, Steve Denton, he was watching a player today, watching many players. He's there from sun up to sundown. I think he's the first guy there and the last guy to leave. But it, so he's coaching at Texas AM. He was a guest on one of our podcasts. So, you know, he's just telling me the two players he's looking at, one player he didn't never heard of. And he was very, very good overall. Ball striking was very good. Just stood out. Clean, which means efficient, least moving, least amount of moving parts, least amount of muscle recruitment. But the boy he's playing against is, is one big in the twelves, big in the fourteens, not as much in the sixteens. And then the question is, you know, how's he gonna do? So sure. You know, I'm sure he's got, a, as what Steve was saying, he's got a handful of gold balls. A lot of listeners should realize is that there's a good chance that that young guy, great competitor, good legs, he's going to go to a very good school, play bottom of the lineup, and not even be considered to play doubles. And, you know, you could, you know, you know, I heard uh, one of our friends say that Michael, he thought Michael Chang's the fastest player ever. And what a great player, you know, where he was, uh, you know, won the French, 17, top 10 in the world. I have two. And um, I remember watching his brother Carl coach him at Cota de Casa, California. I heard a story where he was working with Stevie Johnson and Sam Query, and you know, he called the guys in and he said, guys, I was a baseliner, but I came to the net way more than you guys. But as great a champion as he was, you know, they weren't asking him, 
well, you know, he could play doubles. Some of the players play college tennis, and we always, from Jim Rogers, college tennis is the goal, pro tennis is the dream. They, you have, you, if you, you want to be able to contribute to the team, you have to be able to play doubles. And that needs to start early in kindergarten. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not. And it's, it's you know, I guess we could wrap it up here. We're talking about basics. Um, to get to college tennis, you know, I think we're trying to make a contribution with free content. I mean, I'd say one thing you say, another we'll wrap it up here. But to me, young, old tennis coaches, coaches need to know the Welby Van Horn balance formula. This is how your body, you know, you're just being tossed a ball, static balance, which is pretty much non-existent now. Yep. This is the body balance position. This is how you ideally should end up. Are you going to be able to do that every time? Of course not. But that would be one. It's okay. That's a way to help. Because we're at an American Junior Tournament today. That'd be pretty basic. What's what would come to your list? I think another basic would just be, I think I think we, we we were just talking about it, but I think the I think discipline. You know, it takes discipline to be balanced. You know, can you come out here and can you, when the coach is asking you to do this, can can you can you do it? Well, I think all the, like routines and discipline, shadow swing in front of the mirror, hit yeah. off a cone, go drop hit balls, self fed. Yeah, you don't need any. You just find an empty tennis court. Get up early. Put jump, on the jump sunscreen. rope. I need to run. I got to build my legs. I, I have to be able to you know discipline of eating. I just just that that discipline and that um, creating that that sense of professionalism early is 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 huge. Going to be able to um, yeah, it's just going to lead to more. It's going to it's just going to make you better. You know. No, like say it. Um, you know, I'm sure they do different versions of it at the University of Florida, but the tiebreaker test. Okay, boys, let's have a tournament. Yeah. And let's just set these targets up and then feed the ball, Harry Hopman style, Robert Lansdorp, crank the ball and make it competitive. But then will kids do that on their own? Sure. You know, we'd make that a tournament. You know, you and I have done that many times in camp settings and kids love it. It goes too fast. Right. If you have some really good players, you need a couple of baskets of balls. Yeah. But... That would be one for me is target tennis. If it was a form tournament first and then target tennis. And it's like, how well do you do in the form tournament? And then make the connection between the form tournament and the target tournament. Yeah. I think also, too, the uh, get the stopwatch out. The running. It's huge. You know, I mean, and you can do it where we talked about the kid playing three hours of defense on basketball, but playing soccer, play a little bit every day. I know when Connor was with you, uh, your team at Florida State with Dwayne Holquist, you guys would warm up with a tennis ball playing soccer. Yeah, I mean, you see that. I mean, you see a lot of you see that at, at a lot of level, a lot of levels, whether it's pro events, college. You know, I think you know a basic, another basic would just be going back would be you know play other sports. You know, have that. There's. A lot of things are going to translate that are going to help you, and I think that'd be something that would be um, even 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 at an at an older age. You know, we've talked about you know Coach Shelton and Ben 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 loves playing basketball, um, and you know whether it's just going to shoot shoot in the gym by himself or just you know playing a little bit of pickup ball. You always have to be careful with you know going up for a rebound, rolling ankles, or things like that. But again. Um, well, being able to uh, 
uh, you know, go out and play, go do different things. I spent a lot of time at Baltieri's and I used to love to go and watch Tommy Haas play basketball. Now, I don't know basketball, but I was a, I think this guy could play D1 basketball. Pretty good athlete. With uh, Marty Fish and Andy Roddick, they did that for fitness. Yeah. It, it's a lot more fun than... Absolutely. Um, you, gotta, you still got to put in the hard yards, but that that's definitely a, a, a way to, you know, make it more fun and, and create a... And it also, it's, you know, it takes your mind off, off of off of the tennis a little bit, but you're, you're getting better and, you know, having something that you're doing. Well, really in the end too, I mean, your kid needs to know brain memory. It's not muscle memory. You're programming your brain and the sooner you can do this, but that's where trickery, you know, Hey kid, you want to do this? You got to do that. No, no. Okay. We're going to play lightning ball, but we have to do all this first. Right. With, but I think another thing too is a grading system. With, you know, there, like you said, the strength of the individual is going to come out. There's going to be individuality. But kids know how to get A's in school. Okay, I've got to sit in class. Maybe the front row would be better, but i got to take notes. There's going to be a test. And they just accept A is excellent, B is good, C is average, D is poor, F is unacceptable. But they, they should be getting a grade all the time in tennis. And they should be able to self-grade themselves. Are they doing the routines? And it's very basic. Right. And if you, but in school, a kid is, that's their workplace. They're regulated. If you don't do your homework, you know, everybody starts with a clean slate. I mean, for 10 years, I had people in an academic setting. Everybody starts with a clean slate. Well, you're tardy. You didn't hand your homework in. And, you know, you get a, a zero averaged in. You know, that it's going to be tough to get an A. Yep. But tennis kids, they don't have any of that system, any grading system until it's, okay, now I'm in a tournament. And I use the term, they, they, they break like glass, they freak out. And, um, you know, I, I think brain typing, I'm very structured. A, a J, it's okay, this is how it needs to be. Now, you need to have a team of coaches, and you don't want everybody to be a J. Right. But if you're a J, you need to realize, okay, they need to play some soccer here. They, they yep. need to play some lightning ball. They need to do some fun things. But I think what happens too many times is that kids are um, – it's abusive, really, that they're having fun, but that fun's not leading to anywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just organized chaos. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't mistake activity for learning. Yeah, John Wooden. There is a guy, you know, that should still be studied. And, and to go back and um, with, uh, I know nothing about basketball, but the dream team. There's other countries around the world supposedly that, you know, they perhaps can't compete with the Americans because of the, the physical specimens that we have to choose from. But, you know, whether it's Yugos, the former Yugoslavia, you know, where Argentina, whatever, there's some places in the world, Spain, and like, well, how are they coaching basketball? And they have to go back and study people who have been very successful at it. Right. And, you know, I think also, too, is that... Um, your situation now going back to college tennis, you know, it's recruiting and development. Yep. You know, what I've done for years is just development. There's no recruiting. You know, this, this is who you're coaching. <laughs> and I think that's something, too, that Braden used to always say that, that how you judge a program is how the, the kid who takes the ice cream cone puts it in the middle of it. That's how you measure a program. Right. With the USTA... 
you weren't really part of that, but they have what's called ID coaches, right? ID staff. They identify talent. I think we're always, I think as all, all of us as national coaches, we were, you know, always constantly identifying. I think in, in some, some, some of the coaches in, in the younger age groups were, you know, some of the coaches working with our 12 and under boys or 12 and under girls, it's definitely trying to keep a, an eye out for a, as many players as possible. Um, you know, so I think that that's a, you know, making sure that it's not, okay, here's a, a 12 year old. We're going to, he's, he's the only one we're going to help or we're only, you know, so I think it's having a very broad base and, um, but such a big country, a little, apologize if I interrupted, but sure. such a big country, you're just choosing kids that are doing pretty well. And let's say the tens and twelves or it's not like you're finding this country kid who hasn't even been in tournaments. Yeah. I think, I think that there, there were through the sections, there were what we called sectional camps where that, that was always trying in the regional camps. Um, obviously COVID, you know, put a lot of different kind of, uh, stopped a lot of things in a, in a lot of organizations, but that was, um, you know, but you'd have in those sectional camps, you'd have a, a bigger, a bigger bay, a bigger place where maybe the kid wasn't playing nationals, but they were at that sectional level that you could, um, you know, see them for the first time, um, or something like that. So, um, those are, those are, I know are, are coming back online or trying the and, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not always, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing for sure. Finding, um, know watching out for players having giving player those opportunities but um but yeah those are those are some ideas with some of the camps that they were trying to trying to do i think with proactive parents i know a lot of parents they don't want to be the the coach but save a lot of money if you could just regulate it and you tell your kid okay if you want to do this you got to do that i think parents if they were to say okay let's go with it you know, saying initially it's a wide number of sports. They get down to the point where they're a little bit older and say it's two sports. You choose one and we choose one. And I think the parent would choose swimming or golf or tennis, a lifelong sport. Something they could do on their own. Sure. Um, you know, I don't think someone's going to, for a lifelong sport, choose lacrosse. Yeah. But, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have tennis? I know Richard Hernandez and I, we were spending time in Canada and it, in many situations, it wasn't fair for the girls. You know, they're just, you go to a hockey rink and the boys are playing and the girls are watching. It, it's really changed now. Girls' hockey is incredible how well they play. But you see these kids, that, like, you just need to go to work. You just that extracurricular pursuit. If you could just start early, you know, you'd be, become really, really good. But it's it's just a matter of... Um, if I do this, I'll be able to do that. And, you know, that's the way education works. It's like, well, okay, you want to be able to get this type of job. Well, you got to do this. Right. But tennis, it doesn't really work that that way. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, I think maybe sometimes even sport in general sometimes doesn't work that way. But, but yeah, everyone's it's a little bit. Well, tennis is, you know, like uh, pickleball is just growing leaps and bounds. But tennis is so technical where, you know, to Really excel in any sport takes a lot of time, but say the the learning curve in lacrosse, very easy. You know, so so little kids, okay, to dribble basketball, dribble soccer ball. Um, you know, say 
your son, Colin, he's eight, right? Yeah. Well, it's a lot easier for him to dribble a basketball, dribble a soccer ball, than go go rally with your friend. Yeah, and and you can go pass a soccer ball with with your friend, and you can you know, no, it's it's definitely. I think that's where tennis is. It's a skill, very skill, highly skilled sport with, with a everything's a ton of repetition. But this is you're learning a forehand volley, forehand ground stroke, a backhand volley, backhand ground stroke, serve overhead. I have to judge the ball. I have to, you know, there's, 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 uh, it's a very complex sport and it takes a lot of, uh, it's a great sport and it's fun, but it does take a lot of time. And, um, so, and I think we were talking about instant gratification. This is not an instant gratification sport. Well, one thing with the rackets, you know, these old wooden rackets, you know, granted years ago, especially on the forehand, people were off on the grip, one grip system. But yet people would teach, okay, there's a ready position, there's a unit turn, there's a backswing, there's a contact, there's a follow-through, there was structure. Right. So now it's, you know, instant tennis, um, it's, you know, action method, no method, and just, just start banging balls. And years ago when a kid had to use a wooden racket, we mentioned that many times, Pete Sanford was asked, if your oldest son played tennis, what would you do? I'd recommend you play with a wooden racket. Yeah. Um, so actually the... The equipment could be for, you know, the governing body of tennis in this country, you know, would that really work? Say, no, you, we'd recommend that you use these wooden rackets. <laughs> and um, trying to think of uh, the name of the game, um, we did some, did a little work with them. Uh, instead of pickleball, you know, there, it's, a, it's a wooden mallet, it's perforated, and the term, it's a bridge sport. Mm-hmm. And it forces you when you're playing a game like pickleball that you're developing tennis strokes at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, I think the, the, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be done. I, I, to me, I think tennis is in trouble. There's a lot of pickleball courts going up uh, everywhere. That's for sure. My dad has, he, he lost the court to, to, to pickleball. Um, no, I think, I think if, I mean, one, get kids playing and they find a passion for it. And then how can, how can we, you know, create creative ways to teach, to teach them good fundamentals to where they can, can actually grow in the sport and not, and not have a ceiling um, to uh, know where they can, can keep, can keep, you know, competing and having fun at, you know, at this great sport. So it's a challenge. Yeah. It's a challenge. Well, listeners, Matt, it's been great to have you visit. I hope we shared some ideas that will make people stop and think, but uh, it's always great to talk to you about tennis. Steve, thanks. It's been great to be here. 101, back to basics, fundamentally sound. All right, thank you. Adios, amigos.